Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The team made it easy on me. Andretti Autosport, I mean, those guys made it really, really easy on me. Um, Maybe one one of the easier races I've ever had, and Brian told me that. He's like, look, it's no different than any of the Road Dandy stuff. Of course, it was tough there in the middle when I got stuck behind New Garden, but kept it calm. We knew the strategy was going to play out in our favor, and uh, it surely did there, and I'm so thankful for them because uh, they're the ones that guided me to this victory today. Some of that stuff does, like it does happen organically, you know what I mean? But I think it really goes back to creating those relationships. Like culture is just a word, but like it can't just be like words that live on a board in your in your meeting room and in your weight room and in your locker room. Like again, you got to be intentional about creating that culture, right? Every single day, live those things, live the character piece, live the preparation piece, live the consistency and be relentless like i got to be the same guy and i would expect our players to be the same guy every single day it is the fan midday show welcome in on a miserable monday i'm will haskett he's jimmy cook eddie garrison getting a set up for the day with all that great sound we're in the drivehubler.com studios uh, a week ago i was in here it was warm we we're talking about playing golf uh, jay cook it is anything but i had frozen precipitation on my windshield on the way into the studios today. So we're going to hunker down. We're going to talk some sports. It was a good weekend. If you wanted to be trapped inside on Saturday, you were hopefully outside. But NBA playoffs are in full swing. Big news today that we'll get into if there's any Colts ramification to the Jalen Hurts contract and how that sort of trickles down in terms of money and everything. So we're mercifully 10 days away from this 2023 draft it's not a nightmare. I guess we're just in like one of those <laughs> endless dream states of what's going to happen with the Colts. All of that on tap. And yes, there was an IndyCar race yesterday as Kyle Kirkwood gets his first IndyCar win. We'll talk that coming up. But Casey Valley are coming up at the top of the next hour to talk Colts. Kevin Lee, bottom of the second hour. We'll get his thoughts on Long Beach yesterday. And Michael Grady may still be asleep, but uh, Grady going to join us at 2 o'clock to talk hopefully just the first half of his Timberwolves game last night and not the second half. Uh, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good. Uh, speaking of the weather, shout out Chuck Lofton, WTHR. Why am I shouting out Chuck Lofton? Because they've been running those ads about spring weather. And I was like, <laughs> come on, Chuck, we're past that. The warm weather is here. <laughs> and he no. was right. It no, is this indeed. is what the season I, is. I know. I try to forget every year, though. I try to be optimistic and be like, eh. Early spring, warm temperatures have arrived. Don't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. And then he's like, hey, remember just two years ago, it snowed in April. And I was like, yeah, but that was two years ago. I was sitting in a chair almost all weekend at one of my son's soccer tournaments on the west side. Uh, I didn't get any insight. We were literally in the shadow of the Colts complex over there and didn't get any insight. I was trying to just by osmosis glean what might be going on inside the building. So sorry, nothing there. You bugged the place? But I tried to yeah. on the way. There was some security there. Not a lot of action, though. Not a lot of activity in the building. But Saturday, sunscreen, worried about sunburn, and yesterday I had four layers on with an umbrella just trying to survive the weekend. And if you guys want really, really depressing information, I'm kind of a weather geek, and if you pay attention to the real smart forecasters, this time next week it might actually be worse. 
it might actually be colder next Sunday and Monday. They're talking about freeze warnings, perhaps, with another cold front next week. So I'm just letting you know, it's going to be great the rest of the week, but this is what we do. We ride the roller coaster. You know, we get that one more little cold virus, you know, out of our way because our bodies are trying to, the allergies were terrible last week. Now you're going to dip and you're going to shock the system today. It's, no, we're not there yet. Not until we get to the month of May do we settle things down. And that's typically when... We start to see some really exciting sports, especially when it comes to the NBA playoffs. Are we going to have any star players left (laughs) on these rosters of whoever makes it to May? Because holy cow, we might not have enough time in a three-hour show, Jimmy, to talk about the injuries that took place over the weekend in the NBA playoffs. We don't even know who's available for Game 2s at this point in time. Well, I'll get to the injuries in just one second, but speaking of star players being available, we mentioned a little bit before we started the show regarding the just full Russell Westbrook experience last night, if you watched any of Clippers' sons that involved it at one point in time, because I guess there's a weird setup of uh, where the sons play. The arena's escaped me for some reason right now, but where there's like a fan congregation area yeah. where the players move, and there's a viral video that went of Russell Westbrook cursing at a fan. In front uh, of his son, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. again, the fan probably deserves sure, it. Like, I mean, like, again, there's plenty of documented Walk instances away. of fans like right. starting these things. The other side of the other oh, player needs to be better. Okay, that's fine. I'm not going to get here to a full no discussion of who's yeah, No one looks, looks good bad. in this. Yeah. Uh, Chris Haynes, Yahoo Sports, says the likelihood of Russell Westbrook being suspended is extremely slim. No. He's expected no, to be available no. game it, no. two. If he gets suspended, yeah. then I would... Yeah. No. Yeah. Guys being jerks to athletes has gotten worse and worse and yeah. worse, and he deserved to get yelled at. But it's the same point in time. Sure. Just keep on moving. But as we were joking, Westbrook hit for the Westbrook triple-double. Yeah. He had a horrible offensive efficiency night, but came up clutch and cursed at somebody. I mean, it was it's exactly what you would expect out of the Westbrook, Westbrook experience. But, I mean, what, Kevin Durant took 11 minutes to score in the first quarter of that game yesterday. Yep. It was not a good look. I thought yesterday was more about who played bad than Saturday's games were about who played well, if that makes sense, looking back on it. I thought that the I thought the Knicks Cavs game was incredibly entertaining and it was a who wants to make the clutch shot down yep. the stretch, the Cavs come back in that one, and then the Knicks end up getting it done. Uh, I do want to talk about some of the trends I noticed this weekend watching some of these games as it relates to a very important offseason for the Pacers because you see the difference between what it takes to qualify for the playoffs and then obviously we know the difference when you turn on things for the playoffs, what that roster needs to look like and what you need to expect in terms of stars playing. But I thought Saturday's games were great. You get the Harden experience, helping out Joel Embiid in the first game of the day. They look super solid. And then yesterday was more about Memphis's inability to keep the Lakers off of the offensive glass. You had, I didn't stay up. I didn't see a single minute of the late game last night. So we'll talk to Grady about it at two o'clock, but I had no interest in waiting up until 1030. And I'm glad I didn't because the Nuggets just put it in expert mode in the second half. And you, you missed out a bit, not, not the second half. Here's what you missed out on. Because if you stayed on TNT and you got transferred in after, even though it was ugly, an electric finish between yes. Suns Clippers and you're like, ah, oh. 10.50 start time. What are we doing? And then Gus Johnson's on the call. Oh, and I was true. like, yes, this is absolute peak playoff basketball right now. I'm mad this game's at 10.50. But we got Gus to carry us through. And, and then the game got pretty ugly uh, as Goodbye. that thing went into halftime and into the second half. But that was the silver lining there. At least you stayed awake for the first half of that ball game. Right. So yesterday becomes, okay, the T-Wolves looked bad. 
I don't I didn't like either of the Suns or the Clippers and what was an entertaining finish to that game but Eddie and I were talking about it. I mean it was just it was bad basketball in the first half and it just wasn't to me aesthetically pleasing to watch. I thought the first half of Memphis LA yesterday was a fun environment of basketball and I'll be curious to see a lot of the adjustments around it. And again, do we care here necessarily about most of these matchups? Not particularly. I think tonight's probably the um, the most one of the most interesting nights of basketball. And if you want to stay up for, can the Warriors respond to the Kings? Which, by the way, this is what I want to do right now. I want everybody to participate in this little exercise with me. And Jimmy, you can do this too. <laughs> Thank you. Does Eddie get watching? Too yeah, watching the Kings beat the Warriors and how electric it was. I had to just sort of, I had to rub my earlobes. And I had to close the eyes and get into a meditative state and say, I will not allow the King's success. I will not allow the King's success to make me relive the trade from last summer. I will not let it make me think about it. Because again, it's easy to watch the Kings in a, what we've always called a win-win trade here in Indianapolis by trading DeMontis Sabonis for Tyrese Halbert. And again, I'm not questioning it, but it is so easy from a fan perspective to watch the more immediate returns of success in that deal and what it did to balance out that roster to make De'Aaron Fox the most, or might win the most clutch player in the NBA award this year for what he's been able to do in fourth quarter scoring and game winning shots and that nature. He was electric to watch in that game. It was, and again, the Pacers did what they had to do, taking a glut of bigs that were clogging up the lane and getting a franchise leader, which I think is the most important aspect of what the Halliburton move made in there. But it is so easy knee-jerk reaction to watch that team run around the court. And I'm not saying that if you reverse it, that both teams are having are in this any better position than they are right now. But it's you wish that you could be that upstart franchise that's in that moment in this quote-unquote win-win trade between two franchises. Do you understand where I'm going with this one? It's It was like, man, it's so cool to see Sabonis out there running with this young team and having a ton of fun. And it's like, man, why couldn't we both franchises be in that sort of situation? Because the Pacers are hopefully one year away from being in that situation or that scenario coming up next year. But I found myself being like, oh, wait, should, we be, should I be questioning? Should I be questioning last summer? No, 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 no. Again, step away. Just because they are good does not mean that the trade was bad for us. So that's what I've been repeating to no, myself. Th- that, that is the therapeutic mindset that all Pacers fans should have. There's a number of different angles to attack that. The first is that you saw what Sabonis, with how the roster was currently constructed, looked like here in Indiana. You, you, you saw yes, yeah, it, looked, it, it looked clogged, looked congested. You look at where the ceiling would have been for that edition of the Pacers. That was it, because they yeah. were never going to be in a spot where they were truly, I guess you could argue the last year they were, where they were truly going to be bad enough to be in a position in the lottery to find the type of difference maker you'd like them to have. Again, I know they weren't last year because there were still, you know, signs or air markers towards, you know, the weeks before the trade Then, like, all right, this is still a salvageable season. It'll be fine. Then they obviously decide it's time to blow it up. It's time to cut bait, time to revamp things. The Kings have been in a state of just perpetual, for lack of a better perpetual term, lottery suck. team. Yeah, uh, perpetual for, for, for the better part of the last, what, four or five, six? If you go further than that, you go to the decade of, of the Lakers Kings infamous series. Like yeah. they've been working to get back to that point for a really long time. They weren't picked to be in this position to start the year. No. The stars just happened to line up for them. And by the way, like all Pacers fans knew, 
Sabonis is a really, really good player and fits really, really well in that style of offense in Sacramento. There's no way to just jumpstart that with where the Pacers were with Sabonis and get the same result. Pacers are going to take a little bit more time, but you still can't be mad about the piece that you got in Tyrese Halliburton in return. My better angle is support Sabonis. Be happy for him. A lot of people love Sabonis. They didn't want to see him go. Be happy for the success he's having in Sacramento. Long for it, but there's no rewind button here like, ah, the Pacers would be a three seed right now and a contender in the East that they kept Sabonis. No, there's no reality where that happens. There's not. There's not. And, you know, Mike Brown's going to win coach of the year. I don't know why we bothered with the finalists. That's how that's going to be announced in two days. By the way, they announced what the award um, timeline will be this week on TNT. Defensive Player of the Year gets announced today. Clutch Player of the Year tomorrow. Sixth Man of the Year on Thursday. Coach of the Year on Wednesday. I'm still salty about Rookie of the Year. I did some digging on it this weekend. How Ben Matherin didn't make that list still boggles my mind. Yeah. I understand coming off the bench. I spent way too much time this weekend in a Walker Kessler stats rabbit hole <laughs> trying to understand overall value to a team that exceeded expectations but had opportunities galore for anybody to play. And he shot like 77% from the field, had a great rebounding rate, was super efficient as a player. But, I mean, just from an excitement standpoint, from what you would expect out of a rookie, you throw that performance on the you know, other teams, and I think it gets swallowed up a little bit. It's almost the unexpected nature of maybe where you're drafted. Anyway, that's a that's a uh, a tangent. I don't want to get into because I don't want to get that fired up on a Monday about how I truly believe that Matherin was one of the top three rookies of the rookie candidates of the year this year in the NBA. But this King story is great, and then watching the rest of the playoffs, Jimmy makes me realize that. The Pacers, much like the Kings last year, are in that moment to make the one more move this summer to put themselves in that Kings position. So Sabonis is kind of your veteran piece that the Kings needed to put into that roster to anchor the middle, a movement guy. They really, I thought they utilized him in a way that he was even better utilized than he was here in Indiana in terms of the floor and running and distributing and, and popping out and shooting. So what's that veteran piece going to be that the Pacers have to add in this offseason? And that's going to be the big question moving forward. And that piece is going to be so important, coupled with wherever the draft pick falls, which, oh, by the way, you and I get to talk about the death of our coin flip coming up a little bit later on in the (laughs) show today. Yeah, we pour one out for the coin that does not exist after we talked about it last week. But this draft pick is important. How they maneuver the rest of their picks in terms of finding the next piece is important because when I watch these games this weekend, all of the stuff that we talked about when we're doing the end of year grades for the Pacers last week hinged so much, Jimmy, on the excitement of all of these players, the hustle and passion that they showed, the depth that they had to get through some lean times and find ways to win. And then yet here I am watching the Cavaliers come back in that game the most entertaining game in my opinion of the weekend maybe short of the the Warriors Kings game and they're starting fives effectively playing the entire game like you know Donovan now is that sustainable probably not but if you're going to be relevant in these games in the postseason you don't have to have a big three but you have to have a three and as much as we can sit here and debate the merits of O'Shea Brissett being brought back to this team if you are going to be a team moving forward 
to make the playoffs, you need five guys that give you the heart, hustle, and productivity that Brissett has given you. To be a team that then gets national attention in the playoffs and makes a deep run, it's going to have to be the guy above him on the roster, Halliburton, Matherin, Miles Turner, and then fill in the blank, whatever that piece is. Give me four or five candidates to be superstar quality guys for a series. And right now, we don't know who piece four and five, I think, is in that question. Could it be somebody on the roster? Yes. Is it more likely that it comes from off of the roster? I would say more likely than somebody that you're developing within the guys that are outside of your, I guess, three guys right now and that's what I take away from this weekend of watching the playoffs is how important and vital this postseason is to either using your resources to bring in a guy who becomes that or hitting another home run with wherever that draft pick falls to get it done because that's the only way this franchise takes a step forward if they're healthy next year they should make the playoffs this is a team that showed us through the course of the year if Halliburton is healthy that you're going to make the playoffs but if you're going to make waves in the playoffs if you're going to be a team that can upset the Bucks like the Heat did yesterday taking out you know one of the top seed, the top seed in the Eastern Conference, what did that team have? It has a dog. It has a guy that can go out there and do it. Jimmy Butler turned back the clock and gave you a vintage Jimmy Butler performance in that game. Now, Tyler Hero might be out because it looks as if he broke a hand or yeah, has four a to hand. six weeks. Yeah, he's, four he's, to six yeah, weeks. Yeah, so he's yeah. out. So all of a sudden, that team gets a little bit leaner, but you could lean on a guy or a couple of guys to get that done. They might win the series, but if they're going to make noise, the Pacers have to end up getting that right because you can't have nine good guys and win in the playoffs. You have to have three great guys to win in the playoffs. And for me, you mentioned Miami. I was just one of the examples that you rattle off there, but Miami is a team that as it stands right now, and they might very well end up upsetting Milwaukee if Giannis can't go. That's still yeah, uh, up in the air. Yeah, we haven't gotten the Giannis injury. Yeah. But, but I'm... I want higher ceiling expectations. And I know you're not saying you're not pigeonholing them in Miami. I'm not saying you're saying that, but Miami is further below where I want the Pacers to be. Miami, this cycle of the heat have already reached their ascension. That was the bubble when they were able to make it to the finals and obviously losing the Lakers in six. And now they're kind of in this, I don't want to call it a regression period, but there's been, you know, were they even going to make the playoffs at times this year? They're able to do it. They're able to survive the play in tournament uh, after dropping one and then winning the second game. But your larger point about where your roster needs to be, it is something that can happen very quickly in sure. one offseason. Obviously, the Kings have shown that example. I know it's a tough one to bring up, but they also you know drafted really well, uh, bringing in Murray last year during the draft, and they've you know found great situational role players across the board. You look at a team like Cleveland again. Is this a once in a blue moon opportunity they had? Yes, but they jumped the opportunity to trade for Donovan Mitchell. All of a sudden, again, even though they dropped one of the Knicks to start this series, they're instantly a thought they're of as viable. a contender. Yeah, they're you a viable. Can, yeah, you want to talk about it. Yes. They, they come up in conversation. Yes. And I hear your point. You're totally right. The Heat is a bad example because your point's the same, though. It's their expiration yeah. date is, yeah. is way closer than what it was when they're at their peak. But it's still because of the window that they built yes. by investing in a couple of superstars, it allowed them to have this run. And now they have to figure out a way to retool. Well, if you're on your way up as a Pacers organization, then that's what you have to figure out. How are we going to do that? And in this market, it's harder to do it. We know it's going to be hard to attract free agents. It's just the reality. It's hard to attract free agents in an even more financially equitable situation if you're the Colts also. So I understand the limitations, but watching NBA playoff basketball, you know it's different, which means there's going to have to be a little bit of luck involved. But the skill, which 
Kevin Pritchard and the entire organization has shown, especially recently, they have been incredibly gifted in their ability to identify, make the correct moves, and make the correct draft picks in this short window of time in building what we hope is this playoff caliber roster for the Pacers moving forward. But it's it's fascinating to watch basketball at this time of year. It's you know, the hockey playoff, the NHL hockey playoffs have been announced. And while I'm not going to sit here and tell you anything other than I know that the Boston Bruins are so loaded that they, if they don't win it, that's going to be the upset of the year. But it's, you know, the difference between regular season and postseason hockey. It's like a, it's a massive step up. It's yeah. the same thing in the NBA. It's why we talked, we talked last week, Jimmy, about how good the start was for the Pacers, but how good was that start? Because it was like, well, they cared a little bit more in November than a lot of other teams already did. Now we see how teams care. Can you build a star-studded roster that can rise to the occasion in the postseason and maybe stay healthy also? Holy cow, what is going on right now? John Morant might not play. Giannis is questionable. Hero breaks is out. It was a absolute mash unit this weekend across all those games. Yeah, because first off, when you look at what L.A. and Memphis could be, like I said it last week, I felt like that could be a really competitive series. I ultimately thought that Memphis would probably get the job done as a fully healthy squad. And then with, with John Morant, you know, thankfully the x-rays come back negative on his wrist. But, you know, he said yesterday, you know, he thought his status for game two was in jeopardy. If he has to miss extended time, that's really going to be an unfortunate loss for all NBA fans, not just Memphis fans. But you look at the majority of these teams, Will, and you look at how they've been built. Yes, there's been a couple of trades and you're saying big market free agencies, but a large number of these cores are all cores that have been drafted sensationally well. You look at teams that are closer to the Pacers in terms of market share, in terms of the willingness to spend money. You look at Memphis and the way they've you built around just in general, the likes of Morant and Bain and company. You look at Cleveland and, and Mobley and just the, the, the small market teams that are close. Giannis, I know he's a, a unicorn and just an example of, hey, they got really lucky for they took him and what he turned into, sure. but that is the name of the game. That's the starting point for small market teams is you have to excel and knock it out of the park regardless of where you draft. And that's why there's more optimism for me than there has been in years past because of how efficient and successful Kevin Pritchard was last year. And now you arm him with more picks, even though we think they're not going to use all three first rounders. I like the opportunity and the chance to once again see a successful draft put together by the Pacers here in two months time. Yeah. One more lottery pick wherever it ends up falling. We'll get to that coming up. Um, We're going to do it in the next segment. Um, Jimmy, we're going to, we're going to talk about all that we learned. Have our moral service weekend. for the yes, point flip. Yes, we are going to talk yeah. about that and, and go through all of the permutations of what that means. But one more, <laughs> hopefully one more lottery pick in the foreseeable future for the Pacers. And getting this one right is going to be so important. But it appears that no matter where that pick may fall, and it's obviously a massive range. It could be one through four all the way down to actually 12, depending on how things sort of play out, which is yeah. we'll know more about later today when when everything happens and, and we know the, the, the various odds and, and things in their favor. I'm not sure if you get stuck at 12, which is, again, a, a huge – I mean, the probability of that happening is massively low. But top 10 pick – in a draft that I think offers the Pacers a lot of really serviceable options at a position of need, as we've talked about a lot on this program, I think that you could get really lucky and have that player end up being superstars, probably a word that's thrown around too much. 
but more than complimentary as a piece yeah. to be able to be a fixture of this organization moving forward. And you're right. I think that that it's why I'm not going to say and, and be all hyperbolic and say that this is the most important off season in this rebuild of the Pacers because it ta- it discounts how important last off season was to reshaping the roster the way that it was. And if Ben Matherin hadn't worked out as a player, then we wouldn't be sitting here saying how important this next step is because we'd be hitting the reset button very much like a quarterback situation over on the west side that we've hit a reset button on (laughs) two or three times over the last couple of off seasons as we kick the can down the road there's no can to kick down the road because this team is progressing down the road talking about the pacers and so yeah i i'm almost as excited to figure out where that pick is going to fall than i am wondering about what they're going to do the rest of it because it could end up being the rest of that piece and we'll see how they use that piece and given how crazy off seasons are maybe that piece is used not even for a new player in terms right. of out of college maybe it's used for something around the league because i think that there's as we get deeper and deeper in these playoffs and more and more teams get bounced because there are a lot of teams that are on the fringe still playing in these playoffs that are probably closer to a rebuild when it's all said and done than they are building off of whatever experience they have in these playoffs and so what does that mean to some of the talent that's out there that's going to be the interesting thing coming up because there's plenty of resources and you are in i think you're in a seller's market and you're a buyer man and you have a buyer's mentality right now if you're the pacers so many people have asked me, oh, what do you think they're going to do? Like, who should they take? And to your larger point, that's why the anticipation is around the draft lottery here in about a month's time, because there's so many different avenues or angles of where I'd like them to go or operate with, depending on how the ping pong balls fall for them. And yeah, I'd be pretty frustrated if it winds up being they drop a couple spots, even one spot drop, which, which there's a, you know, a fair chance that could happen will be wildly frustrated to me because of the way that, again, at this point, we've been willing to call the Pacers season for what it was. If you're just from the fan standpoint, I know the front office and the coaching staff wanted more. It's not the season they wanted. But if you're a fan of this team and you know that the better draft position you have, the better chance in theory that Kevin Pritchard's able to, you know, hit one out of the park again is this was the perfect year of, yeah, they, they struggled a ton. They lost some games. They were fun. They kind of wrote me back in. Now I'm interested to see what they want to do. And if you're a fan and you see, oh, <laughs> ping pong balls dropping there, whether they drop to eight, nine, 12. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes this season less rosy as to where it is now for me with how things shaped up for them. We know what they were on the court. And unlike last season, we know what we're probably going to see even with whatever the new pieces are. Right. So there's excitement about how the roster is built at this very moment. And we haven't even added to it, which I think should have us excited. It's how we add to it that will then measure what that true excitement is. And that has a lot to do with a whole lot of various permutations and odds and things that are going on and sadly does not include an actual piece of metal being flipped into the air. We will get into the depressing nature (laughs) of what is actually happening later on today, I believe, at NBA headquarters and its huge ripple effects on the Pacers. I say this with some drama, but we are building. We are building drama for the next (laughs) segment as Jimmy and I sadly say farewell to our beloved never actually existed coin flip that to come here on the midday show jimmy cook will ask it with you on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com 
and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Will Haskett. Welcome back to the Midday Show on this messy Monday. Take those jackets back out of the closet. Sport coat today for me. For those of you watching on YouTube, this is for you out there. Wink. Dressed up for you. Just you. Just you and only you. If you're swinging by on YouTube today to watch us. I uh, also dressed up for you, YouTube. You're you did. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Very, very sure. much the look of a man that's not happy that spring has brought cold temperatures back. It's the look I was going for today. Usually reach a point. You have a coat at least, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. just like, wear that outside. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I got a windbreaker. Okay, good. Didn't didn't bring out the heavy jacket. Yeah, I've got. I actually had to dig out the coat over the coat because it was it was raining and sleeting so hard. I didn't want the suit to get a little something on it. No, Respect I had a, that. Yeah. I had a selection show earlier today for the NCA. So congratulations to all sixteen teams who have made the NCA Division Three Men's Volleyball Tournament coming up the semifinals and championship next weekend in Owings Mills, Maryland. And that concludes our segment on Division Three <laughs> Volleyball today on the Midday Show as we hop right back into a little NBA talk because the playoffs are underway. A play playoff weekend that we expect the Pacers to be a part of next year, maybe even not having to survive a play-in to get into the playoffs if they could find their way into the top six in the standings when it's said and done. And that's a step that I think is a logical one to make. A lot of things have to go right. And as we talked about in the first segment, Jimmy, much of that going right hinges on what happens coming up in the NBA draft in a couple of months' time and where the Pacers draft. Much of that will be determined at some point today. It is not streamed sadly uh, there will be some release that most people will ignore but you and i have a great fascination with the luck of the draw as we have found out now for the pacers there is no coin flip you and i Tragic. had a nice back and forth with tony east who has a great article on si.com if you want to go cross-eyed and figure out all of the different things that can happen but later on today at nba headquarters assumingly, there will be a drawing for all of the various tie-breaking scenarios. And while it has been called a coin flip, and we thought there was an actual coin being flipped, that was more of a metaphor for the fact that when there are just two teams that are tied, they will indeed draw names, but it is a metaphorical coin flip because the odds are 50-50. And when I found that out, Jimmy, I crashed to my knees, I shed a tear because I I thought that there was some guy flipping a coin, and I really, really enjoyed the idea of that so much more than randomly pulling a name out of an envelope, which begs its own set of questions, which we can get into. But yes, RIP to the coin that never was. Look, I had some family in town over the weekend on Friday night. Um, you know, I was uh, feeling myself in a way that I hadn't since college. To which I woke up Saturday morning and you know had a massive headache and just was not feeling great. I got some meds for that. Appreciate that. Uh, maybe you can you know uh, <laughs> you gotta take them before. <laughs> I need them in reserve. Okay. Well, now that I know that, but there's a larger way of setting up that that headache still wasn't as painful as learning the news oh about the coin flip. Not ex- I had all these follow up questions about the coin flip. What kind of coin? Way to the coin. We're doing this inside, outside. We catching it, smacking it on the wrist. All these type of follow up questions, only to learn that it's instead. Just a randomized drawing. It's randomized yeah, it drawing. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was tough. So, is it a big envelope in the David Stern refrigerated Nick's conspiracy <laughs> sort of way? Are we like ripping up pieces of paper and putting them into a top hat? I still have questions about what the actual random drawing is. We won't get any answers. The only answers we will get is what happens when the Pacers are 
drawn out of a number of different scenarios. The most important one, obviously, being the draft order between them and the Washington Wizards. They ended up with the final, with the same record at the end of the regular season. They both have the same number of ping pong balls or whatever you want to say odds are in terms of winning the lottery to get into the top four. Yep. Again, it's not top three anymore. It's top four. We'll move up out of those that are in the lottery. They have the same odds of moving up, but should both of them not be drawn should other teams make it and they get bumped down the drawing today would merely determine their order it's where they slot into the pre-lottery order so one team will be seventh one team will be eighth they will have the same chance of moving up but whoever has that advantage would be in front of the other should either of them or i should say should both of them not win the lottery and how that order sort of plays out and that could end up being very important for the most important of all of the drawings today that have draft ramifications on the Pacers. In that same piece from Tony, here's what you're rooting for if you're a Pacers fan. Spurs win a random drawing over the Rockets. Pacers win a random drawing over the Wizards. Warriors and Clippers win a random drawing over the Heat. And the Cavaliers win their random drawing over the Grizzlies. And that's just the first part. That's not even going into the ping pong balls later in next month when we're really in the drama seat for that. But yeah, Tony outlines it very well on SI.com regarding all the scenarios you root for if you're a Pacers fan. Both teams have a 29% chance, roughly, that being the Pacers and the Wizards, of moving into the top four. About a 7% chance of being the team that is selected to draft Victor Wembenyama with the first overall pick. And yes, the Pacers, the only pick that's locked in is the Boston pick that came from the Malcolm Brogdon trade because they were locked into the final standings. So they, we know that the Pacers will have the, it's the 28th pick, if I remember correctly. Uh, did I get that right? I think it's 29. 29. Sorry, uh, 29 in the draft. Yes, 29th overall pick. And then obviously with Cleveland and Memphis finishing at 51 and 31, then we'll get the Cleveland's first round pick. The one that is just completely stunning to me is the early second round pick, which they're either going to have the 32nd or the 33rd pick, it appears, but it's based off of a couple of different drawings. Um, San Antonio, you mentioned you want them to win the drawing day against the Rockets to pick 32nd, but if it ends up 33rd, it goes to Boston, and then the Pacers get Miami's pick. So then now, instead of picking 32nd, you're farther down the list wherever Miami was. <laughs> Don't ask me to explain why. The larger thing here, again, because we're kind of getting in the weeds a bit, is that your main focus, because the Pacers likely aren't going to use every first-round pick they have at their disposal, you would think that they're likely going to trade some of those off or, or you know work some way with those assets. The main one, the main drama point, is what happens with Indiana versus Washington in this random draw. And then you go from there in terms of, okay, we have one step closer to where they officially are. And then it's another 30 days of you have all these mocks coming out. Of course, the NFL draft is going to dominate that conversation with the actual draft on their side of the ledger taking place next week. For the Pacers, it's going to be another 30 days of, okay, where's the ping pong ball going to drop? And then once that happens, it's another month or so before the actual selection is made. So a lot of waiting, a lot of wishing by Pacers fans. First step in that process to get clarity, though, begins today. Uh, do you have more point, average more points this year than Walker Kessler? No. Andrew Nembard. Wow. Process that for a second. <laughs> I'm just going to drop random nuggets of players who had a better season in my mind in many ways than Walker Kessler did. And I'm sure this is going to get around and there's going to be like a Walker Kessler fan club. And again, a lot of this is tongue in cheek because 
I think it's pretty safe to say that Paolo Bancaro is the best rookie in the NBA this year. So having finalists is all well and good. But in some of these award categories, I guess there's a little bit of a push that maybe Jalen Williams from the Thunder could get it because of how he came on. I don't really know if I see it. I thought Bancaro was the most all-around, probably best prepared player coming in, and he sort of showed it this year with the Magic, so I'm not going to be mad if he ends up winning it. And I'm not saying that Ben Matherin should have been rookie of the year. I don't think he is the NBA's rookie of the year. I'm just like, can we just get the guy a little love? I mean, can we just put, if you're going to make a top three for some marketing purposes, can we just get a little love there? Because I'm just not feeling, the the more I get away from it, (laughs) I wasn't even this triggered when it came out. I was like, ah, well, you know, he didn't have, here we saw it, didn't have as good of an end of the season as he had at the beginning of the year he was coming off the bench I kind of liked how they worked him into the team this year there wasn't they didn't throw him right out there to the wolves I appreciated the fact that he got some starts late I thought they handled it beautifully and I thought he handled it beautifully and had did all the right things I was like okay whatever not top three now I'm kind of gets I'm getting salty Jimmy I think he should have been top three I think he should be a finalist I guess the only reason that I'm not as riled up or worked up about it as you is for two reasons one when it comes to awards there's only really one thing I care about and that's who won the darn thing but at the same time you like representation for your club I, I totally understand that I totally get it a lot of that I feel like has to do with you know there's stages where he's not starting right away with this team like he is he's coming off the bench you mentioned and should he be penalized for that no not necessarily but when you think of like historically rookie of the year yeah most of those are guys that are starting or at least going to start a large portion of the season for you and the other caution I would say is that while I think that Paolo Bencaro is a very talented player there's been a lot of players that I thought were very, very talented players that go to Orlando, have a couple good seasons to start, and then you either never hear from them or they wind up being a contributor for another team once the rookie contract is up. So large scale, you know, you hate that Matherin doesn't walk away with at least a finalist appearance with it, but at the same time, well, let's go optimistic aspect here for old Benedict. Hey, maybe he's working with it as another chip on the shoulder I mean, for the offseason. He scored more than, I mean, Jaden Ivey was electric <laughs> this year and Matherin had a better, score, at least scoring output than him. Keegan Murray averaged 12.2 and 4.6 <laughs> this year for a playoff team and Walker Kessler averaged 9 and 8. What are we doing here? <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Walker Kessler has his agent in the right places. Oh. Well, maybe maybe, like maybe, maybe he's greasing the goose a little bit. I like that. There's a lot of theory. advanced analytics on the defensive side. That yes, attracts. I know his blocking <laughs> numbers were good. That's he had 2.3 blocks per game. I think it was like one of the better blocking totals in any rookie season. And I'm as big of an advanced stats guy as possible. And I know I'm not in the weeds of it. I need to find a really good NBA site to be able to do it. I could give you every single <laughs> advanced golf metric that there is out there. In fact, I've got three tabs open on my laptop right now with advanced golf stuff. So I'm all in on advanced statistics. Statistics. Would you say this is the most you've ever been upset about any type of award? No, I've been. Ever? I'm just. It's it's <laughs> April and we don't have a team. We don't have a dog in the fight. So of course we're gonna sports talk radio this thing. No, no, death naturally. But I mean, it. like, I think there is part of you, sports talk radio aside, that is a little frustrated that he's not there. I think so. I don't know how much of that is hometown bias, though. It's like I appreciated the passion with which he played. And if we want to go advanced analytics, his ability to draw and drive to contact, his free throw shooting, his um, his his true shooting percentages, all of these things for a guard to achieve in this year, especially when you think about just the think about the makeup of the NBA. And I'm not saying that there's 
beneficial treatment given to veterans, but guys understanding what it takes to draw contact, to not turn the ball over. Like he had his moments that were good and bad, but I mean, you look at I mean, his turnover numbers were less than some of the guys that he's up against for the rookie of the year. I mean, I just don't think there was enough respect given. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Pacers treated Mather in his rookie year in a year where they knew this probably wasn't the playoff team. I thought they handled him so well. And the way that the team handled him may have cost him a top three sort of finish in the rookie of the year. And that's not and that's not knocking anybody associated with the Pacers. That's just sort of knocking the system that we're in. I just, I guess I want plugged in enough. And Eddie, uh, thank you for the defensive analytics <laughs> part of it there. It's like, I guess it's just like, I don't, I don't know what the lobbying is. You know, it's, he wasn't on a, Kessler wasn't on a playoff team. Sure. Like he's, you know, I mean, there's plenty of guys that were on playoff teams were getting a ton of run. They were on a team that literally blew up their entire roster. There were minutes and points and blocks to be had after the Gobert and Donovan Mitchell moves. So I could make a case that he had an even better situation to showcase his abilities in Utah than Ben Matherin had here in Indianapolis. So, yeah, let's go. Let me. I want to I know the marketing firm. There had to be a marketing firm that was behind this. Now I'm going to go full conspiracy. Let's Look. go full. I want to talk to these marketing professionals <laughs> and figure out how much it's going to cost to get our boy Benny. Uh, maybe like uh, the fourth spot. Can we like just you know? Can we slide over and create a picture and redo all the social media campaigns? Outside looking in. <laughs> Look, here's here's my largest issue with it. And again, you're, you're never going to. Like I, I really like Benedict Matherin early on, and and I don't think anybody really liked it. I tried to get the uh, whenever I bet is over, little eggs Benny over easy. Try to get that okay. going. You know, I I, I, I like this. I, I was, I was I very like proud this. of myself with that one. The biggest issue I have, and now I'm gonna have to dive in during the break or after the show at rookie of the years winners and the amount of games they started. I'm not gonna go fully with finalists, but he. Yeah. And again, by I'm, Pacer uh, design, yes. only started 16 sure. games. Next closest is 40, uh, done by your friend Walker Kessler. So, like, yep, that's I get it. I like, get it. That to me, I'm not saying that should be the sole purpose of it, but I'm willing to bet that most rookie of the years have started more than even 20 games, which is four less than he did. Walker Kessler averaged 23 minutes a game. Benedict Matherin averaged 28 and a half minutes and, per and, game. And that, and that should just, be included. That, 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 just, that, that should be included because it wasn't like he wasn't playing. That's a fair point. I rest my case. I will send it to the jury. <laughs> you're, you're, you are you're well done. You're dressed, dressed. You're dressed I'm for that dressed, exact yeah. role. Yeah, I would like to see Walker <laughs> Kessler's Utah sports talk guy right now dressed as good as I am making his case. <laughs> Find you out there. <laughs> That's Will Haskett. I am Jimmy Cook. Still to come, we're going to have a conversation with Casey Valier of the Colts Radio Network and Colts.com and take some time with us top of next hour, as well as bottom of next hour, Kevin Lee of NBC Sports going to join us, give us a recap of the Grand Prix in Long Beach, plus 2 o'clock hour, Michael Grady joins us to talk a little bit about Twins Nuggets and the NBA playoffs as a whole. But coming up next, did a streaming giant ruin your Sunday night? And did they show why live sports aren't coming to their network anytime soon. We'll have that for you on the other side on the Fan Midday Show. We'll ask it and Jimmy Cook, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Two hours, five minutes, 54 seconds, Jimmy. When I say that to you, what do you hear? <laughs> do you want me to ruin it because I know what you're talking about? Okay. Or do you want me to... What could you do in two hours, five minutes, and 54 seconds? Uh, probably be seven innings into a 2023 baseball game. Uh, you might be done with a couple of 2023 baseball yep. games. That's a that's a segment for another time. It's been awesome to see how fast... Watch a movie. Nice. Uh, sometimes get nine holes in. Sure. Depending on how slow the group is in front of me. Uh, that's the winning time today for the Boston Marathon in the men's division. Two hours, five minutes, and 54 <laughs> seconds. Um, came to my realization a few years ago watching this that their mile split that they were running is faster than the fastest speed the treadmill at my orange theory gym goes now it's changed the new treadmill now goes to 15 miles an hour but back in the day it was 12 was the highest setting that you could go because of that you think they were like oh we can't be having marathon maybe but i mean if you have if you're ever on a treadmill (laughs) and the highest it goes is 12 which is miles per hour 12 miles an hour that is actually slower than the split times that the most elite marathoners are running so they're running faster than your treadmill allows for 26.2 miles yeah the list of things i could do in two hours and five minutes uh running a marathon was not on there believe it or not that is jimmy cook i'm will haskett welcome to the midday show here on a gloomy monday it's gloomier jimmy for folks who were expecting to watch a certain program last night uh tell me more because my wife and i were wondering what the social media scuttlebutt was uh admittedly not our lane for this particular situation but um Netflix stock took a little nosedive this morning. So a lot of, I'm sure, relationships, marriages, you name it, had strain last night because a hit show on Netflix called Love is Blind in their fourth season, uh, cliff notes of it, basically it's people uh, are separated, uh, men and women on separate like wings of this big complex and they sit in these pods, divided pods where they can't see each other and they just get to know each other without ever having seen each other. And eventually, after a certain amount of time, I think it's like maybe a week, they propose sight unseen and it, it's a whole sure. show. Right? I'm sure this works out great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so um, I watched the first season because it was during COVID and because I can get behind any type of drama show. Like if I'm sitting there... So I got I'll, I'll sucked wear... into like teen drama, sure. like Outer Banks. Sure. Like how am I still yes. watching those people run around <laughs> and get shot? In the outer bank. Anyway, I digress. Go so, ahead. so that watch second season, then three and four. I didn't watch. I didn't do it. But my wife loves it. Like, like must see TV for her. Uh, so does my mother in law. So, I get a call about, I don't know, eight o'clock last night from my mother in law. Missed it. Then called her back. She's like, I can't get this to work. Like, did you do you change the Netflix password or something? I'm like, no. What's going on? Apparently, Love Is Blind had a live reunion show. And before they just did these tape reunion shows, just like you would when you're, you know, they do it for the Bachelor, they do it for all these shows, they do it for Survivor, where there's like these live reunion shows of what happened, why did this happen that way, that way. They try to do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> so they'll write it, they'll do it live. Well, they tried to do it live, and Netflix, at least for that program, basically broke. They didn't have the capacity to be able to handle the amount of people that wanted to watch the live show. It was only the second live program that Netflix had ever done in their history. The previous one, I believe, was a Chris Rock's stand-up special that was live a couple months ago. So... Twitter's in a frenzy. My mother-in-law's in a frenzy because you can't watch the program. So Stephen A. Smith was in a Stephen, frenzy. Yeah. Everybody yeah. on Twitter is in, a, is in a frenzy about this. Like, you name it, someone tweeted about the chaos that was last night. And you also, if you are more on the, oh, love drama, like macho, whatever, like just 
into more serious drama shows. I'm not into this show because I just haven't watched it. Succession was going to air as well last night. So you have people on both was, platforms that's where I was. that yeah. like were, okay, I'm going to let the wife watch this and then we'll watch Succession yeah. after that. No, it didn't happen for a lot of people. For me, it was the NBA playoffs because it's like I'm still trying to get this thing to work. A lot of strain. What ended up happening, massive fail for Netflix. They taped it instead of a live show. They decided after about two hours that we're going to tape it and now we're going to drop it at, you know, 3 p.m. Eastern today. So hmm. full drama, but the larger wave, how it gets tied to sports is for years in the streaming wars. The thought was, well, will Netflix ever jump into the sports realm? Will they ever try to get into that avenue? They've said recently they're still a couple years away from that before this even happened. Can you imagine? Just oh imagine gosh. for a second. It's an NFL playoff Thursday, game. Or even the Thursday Night Football on, debut whatever. or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, Anything like that. Season opener, you name it. Ah, Yeah, we'll just air it on a tape delay. It'll be fine. No. Well, there's people, myself included, that lose their mind at YouTube TV because it's a 52 second delay yeah. when I'm trying to get a live bet in. Like, it, it's the ramifications for that would be astronomical. And you already had backlash to the nth degree of Love is Blind fans just lose their minds last night, rightfully so, because they pumped it up and they did the bad PR thing. Ah, we're going to get it fixed in a second. Like, social media people that aren't on the tech side, ah, we'll be on in just a second. Radio silence for like two hours. It's like, oh yeah, no. sorry. We and then eventually take. it was like, we're gonna. It was only live. They had for, a live studio audience, right? So it was only live for Select that people. audience. Yeah, yep. And then everybody there. else was like, good luck. You can see it later. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, nightmarish avenue day. for Netflix. Uh, one of their most popular shows in terms of like just yeah. content driven stuff. And from a live sports perspective, yeah, a lot of uh, eh, maybe that's not Netflix lane. Just stay in your lane with uh, recorded programming and have it there. That's a bad. That's a bad look. It's tough. That's a bad look. What would Logan Roy do? If that was his media <laughs> empire. Speaking of my succession drama last night, I'm so, so surprised they killed him off last week. At this point in time, I'm sorry if you haven't watched wow, last week's episode. Wow, not even going with. I, no, mean, I don't that, care. Wow, I don't care if you have, if you haven't watched it now. Bold. I'm not going to say anything that happened last night, but if you haven't watched oh, it in the last God. eight days, sorry, it happened. It happened. There's. It's it. We, a week has passed. This, there's no worries about the spoiler review. I would love to see another season of Succession, <laughs> but just have it be the entire like Colts ownership. Like, what would be the succession of that because I would love to see the family side. I think that'd be fun for Indianapolis, um, wherever it might be. Uh, speaking of the Colts, we're going to talk about that coming up in the next hour. See how I tried to do that in as tight of a segue as possible. Unrelated, definitely not trying to get any hate uh, towards Will's. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Haskett. Uh, if you're interested in that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jacob. Spoiler alert: Casey Vallier joins next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Second hour on the Midday Show here on The Fan with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Uh, Breaking news. We're going to get into it with our next guest as well here, Jimmy. Uh, breaking news, people who have not caught up on their succession hate me, <laughs> and there are death threats already out there. I mean, Just a bold, it's bold play. Bold literally play the you. greatest show on television, I, and every single person is talking about it. So, Look, we've had a good rapport days. we've built eight already. Days. We've had a great days. rapport we've built the last you had uh, eight two days. weeks. I, I, can't, I can't be in your corner for this. You had eight days. That's tough. You had eight days. Uh, that's Blown not the breaking the news. Work. The breaking news is not that I'm making enemies because <laughs> I had a spoiler of succession. The breaking news is that Texans GM Nick Casario has said that they have received a few calls 
on the number two overall pick and are open to listing to offers. Um, shout out Eddie with this um, with the tweet coming from Ari Myrov with this. Houston has been a tough team to gauge with which direction they'll go in the draft since Casario got there, but there hasn't been any indication that they love a specific player in this draft besides Bryce Young, which means if Carolina goes C.J. Stroud, number one, then it would still fall that the Texans could get their guy in Bryce Young. But if that pick is then suddenly on the board, and this is why with all of this chatter about six teams or however many teams are talking to Arizona about the number three pick, there's no sense in trading it until you probably get to draft night because of how big that value can get. Yeah, The value of that pick is only going to grow depending on what happens in front of you if you believe in the hype for Richardson or whatever it might be. And it looks as if Houston might be in the same boat, that if Bryce Young comes off the board one, there could be a feeding frenzy for two and then three, and the Colts then sitting there at four. So things have gotten a little bit spicier here in the last few minutes in terms of what the draft is going to look like next Thursday. Get to Casey here as we have him, but the last thing I want to say on that, we'll get Casey's thoughts on it. If you're the Texans, you can't move that pick until draft night. And the main reason you can't is if you get finessed by the Panthers, you trade that today, just say for the sake of argument, then the Panthers take C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young was a guy all along, then you're in a world of trouble. So yeah, yeah, that's not a move I think happens until draft night. Yeah. All right, so that has made Colts Nation maybe a little bit more interesting, not just a division rival not knowing exactly what its future is going to be but also what it means for the fourth pick or if it's higher for the Colts coming up next week for more on that we welcome in Casey Vallier you hear him all the time on the Colts radio network uh, Casey news to you as well as the rest of us here in the last couple of minutes Yes, yes, it is. Hey, thanks for that breakdown because I was unaware. So here we go. I love breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> Casey, <laughs> what 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 for you is more uh, sinful? Uh, running through a spoiler without a spoiler warning, or trading within division? What would you say? <laughs> or, where, where, where's oh worse? <laughs> man, that there you put me on the spot there, Jimmy. I would assume probably trading within division just because the spoiler, you know. At least it's aired, you know? So it's Eight nice days ago. And it's oh, not yeah. even a streamed show. You've had eight days yeah. to catch up with one episode. I'm not. It's yeah. the best show on TV. I'm not apologizing for this. <laughs> I'm not. I, 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 I do admire the sticking to the guns. I'm though. sticking I do. to it. I do. I'm not apologizing. <laughs> I'll apologize individually. I'll reach out to those who have at least offered death threats. I should probably apologize to those guys. Scratch them off the list. Thank thank you, Casey. Okay. Um, Crazy things are going on here within, I mean, the division has so much. If you believe the smoke around the potential fire that Tennessee wants to get back up in this draft and get into things, I mean, 10 days just can't go by fast enough, or can they before the draft next Thursday? Man, you are not kidding. I mean, it it's one of those things where you think you have a top five pick and you're like, all right, well, this is how the board's going to fall. These are going to be the guys. And, I mean, there is, I think, 25 options for what could possibly happen at four. And now you start hearing, you know, whatever Nick Casario is talking about with Houston. And it takes you back to that Week 18 game where, you know, everybody thought this game doesn't mean anything. The Colts are going out and win because the Texans want to get the number one spot. Then you have that fourth down play where all of a sudden here's a whole change and now it looks like the Texans might have to trade out because they didn't get their guy. I mean, it is bizarre. And that's that's why one of the things that my colleague Matt Taylor always says, he's like, there's no need for reality TV because the NFL 
is the best reality TV show there is because there's always drama. There's always something going on. And that is clearly what we're seeing right now. And, I mean, you talk about the draft being in 10 days. I made a comment this morning that I was like, I cannot wait until 8 o'clock on next Thursday just so that at least we know something is going to happen shortly. Because, I mean, I know maybe it's because the Colts are sitting at four, so there's all kind of speculation. But I feel like the last month and a half has drawn on and on, and we're just kind of ready for it to get around for sure. Casey, as you've been diving through or getting interactions or questions from people. Obviously, the most prevailing question I'm sure he's got is, who are they taking? What are they going to do? Like, Levis or like Richardson? Where are they going to land with this whole thing? In terms of just the the craziest, like, out-there predictions or just out-there interaction you've had on Twitter, or what's been the one that's either made you chuckle the most or what's been the most where it's like, okay, I really am ready for the draft now. It's time to time to get here. I mean, frankly, the one that I keep seeing, I, I can't remember who it was. I saw it uh, last week. We talked to Ian Cummings. Uh, Pro Football Network and his latest mock draft had Anthony Richardson going number one, and I and I I honestly just kind of laugh at that because you hear about all the potential this guy has, but he's risen up the draft board so much in three months where he hasn't completed a pass, hasn't attempted anything. And all the concern was, well, he hasn't played much football, but then without him playing football, he has risen so far in some of these mock drafts that that's where I am. I'm just ready to see what is smoke and what is fire, because last year – all the hype was around. There's not going to be many quarterbacks taken, but Malik Willis might be the guy, and then he falls into the third round with Tennessee, and and now it almost seems like he's out of favor in Tennessee. They're already looking to go somewhere else. They've got a new GM. So I just want to know where Anthony Richardson, will Will Levis end up? Because it seems like C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, they're your clear number one, number two, and a majority of when our teams are evaluating these quarterbacks, Richardson definitely is the wild card with all the upside. So that's why I'm just ready for it to all get here because I can laugh. I can see, I can think all of this is crazy, but who knows? Maybe Carolina does throw a big wrinkle in the whole thing and take a guy like Anthony Richardson, who makes it all just a project, or maybe he goes like Bucky Brooks has been projecting in the twenties. Who knows? That's, that's where I am. It's just, I'm fascinated with, Four quarterbacks who have just taken over the entire draft where you have no idea whether they go top five, whether only two go in the first round. It's just it's mind-blowing. And and with the Colts sitting at four, I mean, you're just engulfed in all of it needing a quarterback. Casey Vallier, Colts Radio Network with us. Nine picks, part of the draft capital for the Colts next week. We probably won't even know where they're picking in the first round until 845. <laughs> like you said, right. next week. I mean, it could, you know, who knows? They could be right. picking at 815 or 830 or 840. Who knows how it's going to sort of play out? Or it could be later. I take those nine picks. I set, Jimmy's here next to me. He loves setting his over-unders. Uh, nine picks. Do you think the Colts end up with nine picks when this draft is over with? Less or more? That is a great question because Chris Ballard, he is on record numerous times saying how much he loves them picks. So I wouldn't be shocked to see that number grow, but it's also one of those things is I think it's very important around a lot of areas where the value is a lot more important. So you're looking more quality than quantity. So I think there might be an opportunity where if you stay at four, you know, you get a guy there and then there's also potential you're trading up. So I'm going to go actually lower. I'm, I'm thinking more around that seven number. You've got three picks in the fifth round. I think 
one or maybe two of those can be part of a trade package. So I'm going to go with, you know, my number would probably be like, you know, I'm not a betting man, but probably seven and a half is probably where I would put that number. I agree. Casey Vallier taking some time with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Colts radio coordinator and in-game studio host for your Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Casey, you knew this question was going to come at some point, so, so i got to ask, uh, if you've interacted with him, if you've crossed paths, uh, what's the overall vibe right now with Jim Ursay? Does he know the amount of stress that he can cause on the fan base, uh, even by saying literally nothing, <laughs> nothing. in terms of what they're going to yeah. do tomorrow? And additionally, <laughs> should fans be worried about the type of tech that the Colts have to operate with in terms of a draft day trade when it looks like the pictures that he got are thumbnail icons from a MySpace page from 2005? Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, th- I think, uh, honestly, and th- this is me not having any knowledge about right. that at all. I and mean, it's definitely <laughs> above my pay grade. I think he's just playing into it. And yeah. I-, I love it. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, every now and then you'll see tweets or whatever. And you're like, oh, why did you do that? I think this weekend, bravo. I think it was very well done because you essentially said nothing, but you said a ton. And that's that's kind of what you're doing at this moment. And, and you didn't, didn't reveal anything, yet you kind of kept the fans going, wait a minute, what? Oh, what are we doing? <laughs> I think you're just trying to get any any buzz around anything. I think that's ultimately what it was. Have a little fun with it. I'm all for tweets like that. You know, Mr. Ursay can do whatever he would like. He's He's earned that right, so by all means. Casey, when we reflect on the last week that was, a lot of opportunity for folks to sit down, to meet each other for the first time, lots of good audio coming out of the complex with Shane Steichen and his first words to the guys they were able to come back for the for some off-season workouts and everything. It's really easy to hit sort of home runs, right? The, the momentum of that change and that energy right. sort of shift and everything in the building. What's something from the last week of kind of having those first football activities of a new staff that maybe got you the most excited? I think, honestly, it's kind of been the buzz I've gotten around Shane Sykin since he was hired. Is it there's no BS. It is. It is all football all the time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything to just get clicks. I'm literally here to coach a football team. And I think when we we heard from some of the players last week, that was the vibe they got. They kind of got a little bit re-energized because there was that sour taste in their mouth from last year, and you're able to have you know a handful of, of months to kind of just get away from the get away from the game. You have a bunch of change. You come back. You see some new faces in the building, and then you're you're led by somebody new, and they can kind of re-energize everything about it. And that's why I really like this time because, you know, it is voluntary. You don't have to be here, but you're looking at the Colts. They got, I'm not exactly sure on the numbers, but really good participation. Your leaders are here, and they're kind of right on line with what Shane Steichen's message is, and that's what I like. I like when I talk to DeForest Buckner, and he's got this huge smile on his face because – I'm not going to lie with you. The last time I talked with DeForest Buckner was after that incredible play with the Texans game that, that caused, you know, it looked to be a season victory at the end into a loss. I mean, he was about as angry as I've ever seen DeForest Buckner in the locker room because, I mean, these games mean a lot to these players. If, you, if you're one of those people that think they make a lot of money and they just go out and play, they want to win. And, and that's, that's one of the things. The last time I saw DeForest Buckner, he was about as low as I had seen him. So seeing him here in the building re-energized, excited about the path that they're going, that's, it. that's what does it for me because that gets me re-energized for the upcoming season because these are the guys that are going to go out and win football games for you. And if they're in, if they're buying in, that's what you want to see. 
Casey, you mentioned to Forrest Buckner, which leads into my next question. He talked about last week how he doesn't like the world rebuild. He had to deal with it in San Francisco as a rookie, and you know he, he, he doesn't like to hear that word. But having that type of mentality from a veteran to be able to kind of set the pace, set the tone for, hey, they might be saying outside this is a rebuild, but this is how we get to where we want to go. How beneficial is kind of having that mentality or that you know, leadership from a guy that's gone through it to maybe, I don't want to say speed up the process, but get the, the train on the right aspect of the tracks where the Colts want to be. I think it's huge. I mean, I mean, you've seen this every year. I mean, you see teams go from last to first every, I mean, almost every single season. We saw it last year with the Jags. I mean, they were a team that was holding the first overall pick in the 2022 draft, and there they are playing in the playoffs. So you realize how quickly it can turn around in the NFL and ultimately You just need a bunch of guys that can buy in, believe in the same thing, and you just need a couple things to go your way. And I think ultimately DeForest Buckner is a guy that knows that. He's been there. He's seen it. You heard it from Michael Pittman. He was very upset about the way the season went. He's got a bunch of goals and a bunch of ways, but ultimately he is – I've seen a bit of a change in in what Pitt has come in. He's taken on more of that leadership role. Um, so I think ultimately when you have these guys that are your key pieces, if they can lead by example and kind of get everybody believing in that same mantra, I think you can see a big change because ultimately, Jimmy, I know you and I, I'm sure, Will, you felt the same way that last year the signing, the Matt Ryan signing, everybody thought this team's a dark horse potential Super Bowl team. Well, a lot of that core is still here. So if you can get you know good play out of the offensive line, good play the quarterback spot, this team still has a really good defense that played really well last year, and you add in a healthy Shaquille Leonard. This is a team that has a handful of pieces in place that rebuild really doesn't have to happen. It can just kind of be a retool. You can kind of gear up. A lot of players, Casey, that are going to be familiar faces on that offensive side of the ball, but within a new offensive structure, you mentioned the leadership roles that some of them have to take on. Do you think any, you see any of them in different on field sort of roles, how they're utilized, how they play? Has there been sort of that initial conversation about how the personnel may just be tweaked a little bit to utilize either their talents or to have to fit within a system that they're now going to have to learn? Yeah, that's something that definitely over the next handful of weeks and in the months as we get closer to training camp, we're definitely going to see that. But I would assume that's one of the things that we continue to hear about Shane Steichen is that and one of the things that I kind of like that he brought in a very young staff. And part of it is because you have to evolve. You have to be able to do things that are a little different from what the NFL used to be. Um, so I think we're starting to see, you know, that the evolution of the college game kind of sprinkling in into the NFL, and that's one of the things that I'm really anxious to see what this team does. I mean, you've got guys like Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce in place at your wide receiver spot, Jonathan Taylor, a healthy Jonathan Taylor. Everybody knows what that means. So if you can find a way to kind of add some wrinkles to have these guys doing different things, I think that is the key. I think that's why Philadelphia was so successful with Shane Steichen is because they just didn't line up and do the same thing. They were able to add different wrinkles inside their offense. They used guys in different ways. So that's where really what I'm excited to see, kind of what this offensive mentality is going to be with Shane Steichen and staff to see, hey, we got this guy. We can use him here, here, and here. But there's also a little bit of ways that we can use him here. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Casey Value with us, radio coordinator, in-game studio host for the Colts. You can follow him on Twitter at C-Valier Colts. Joining us here on The Fan. Casey, I asked you earlier about you know what the most ridiculous nugget or what the most ridiculous aspect you've learned throughout this process prepping for the draft. In terms of 
obviously not who the Colts are going to take, but just broad picture as you've gotten to know these prospects more, where has been the most rise in stock or rise in impression for you of, oh, you know what? I, I think that guy could be a good pro in terms of just the prospects you've examined uh, through the Colts podcast network. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, our big our big topic that we've talked about here at Nauseam, like you guys have, is quarterback. So right. Anthony Richardson definitely fits that bill. But for me, honestly, I think it's been kind of that consistent talk throughout. I know that people are putting Richardson above some of these guys, but guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who have just continued just to go out and show what they have done, that's one of the things that's impressed me. But there's been a handful of guys that we saw at the Combine that – I can't pronounce his name. There's a defensive tackle. He he played a little bit of defensive end and defensive tackle at Northwestern. His name is Ada. I don't even want to try to butcher it because it's really, really poor. But he was a guy that we talked to Jim Nagy, and he said at the Senior Bowl, his grade was like a third rounder. And now he's projected to be in that back end of the first round. And those are the kind of guys that impress me. I go through his bio, and it's like – you know, he, he's a defensive tackle, ran a four five forty, so he he's got these traits you just can't teach. He he looked like a truck. When I, I was walking by the podium at the combine and I did literally did a double take because I was like, that might be the largest human being I've ever seen. <laughs> One of the most toned guys. So he was a guy I had my eye on. So I can't pronounce his name. I apologize for that. But if you look up the Northwestern defensive tackle, you'll probably hear his name at the end of the first round coming up next Thursday. He's a guy that I really have wa- loved to watch his tape and watch him rise up the draft board. Casey, every year it feels it's, it's kind of odd with so many players coming out that some years it's like this is a good draft in terms of depth for X position but this year might be a little bit weak in whatever Y position might be and it fluctuates from year to year we talked about the the draft picks that the Colts have and the ability and the flexibility I guess you have when you have three fifth round picks of maybe being able to package and move up and get another third or a fourth if you find a guy that's on your board that you absolutely have to have give me a a position maybe not of need for the Colts but that you've heard there's going to be a lot of steals at whatever this might position might be to where you wouldn't be surprised if you saw a team or maybe even the Colts make a move because there's going to be someone still floating there in the third or fourth round that you just kind of have to go up and get because they could be a difference maker I think there's really there's two positions and I would say one of them wouldn't be a need I would say tight end very very deep tight end class and there's a handful of these tight ends that are kind of the do-it-all guys. I mean, guys that block and also guys that are very good in the, in the passing game, which that's kind of what you're looking for. When you lost Jack Doyle, the guy that could do it all, you, you saw a little regression in that tight end group, and now you're trying to figure out, okay, we've got this tight end who's mainly a blocker and a guy that can, you know, Jelani Woods, who's going to be able to go out there and be that red zone target, potentially make some big plays for you. If you can get a tight end that can do it all, it just helps you out from, a, from an offensive standpoint, kind of being able to have, if you need that sixth blocker on the edge or if you need a guy that can go out and do it like a Jack Doyle, and it sounds like this is a very deep tight end graph. Now, if you look at the Colts' depth chart, they've got a handful of tight ends. You've got Moali Cox coming back, Jelani Woods, a guy who really tore up in the in the offseason last year, Drew Ogletree during training camp until his ACL. He was a guy who was making a lot of promise. And then you have Kylan Granson. So you got four guys with you know a lot of promise in that tight end room. So I would say it's going to be hard you know to really make it a priority in the draft, but it sounds like it's a very deep class. Now, the other position of need – and I, excuse me, I think another position that is very deep is at cornerback. I would not be shocked to see you take a couple of them if you're a Colts perspective because 
the what you lost. You trade away Stephon Gilmore. Brandon Faison goes away in free agency, and you don't sign anybody. So right now, when you look at the depth, you've got Kenny Moore, Isaiah Rogers, and Dallas Flowers who have played in this system last year with Gus, with Gus Bradley. So I think corner is definitely a position you're going to need to address, and it sounds like it's a very deep cornerback group. So you might be able to get a couple guys in that. Casey Value with us of the Colts Radio Network. Casey, I want to zoom out for a second. I know you're following NFL news as closely as anybody. Another big contract laid out today, this time for the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Five years, $255 million contract extension, $179.3 million in total guarantees. Your thoughts on that contract, but also kind of what it does for the quarterback market moving forward. I know this is still like a big picture zoom out for the Colts whenever, obviously, they have to find the guy first, but that's something they'll deal with. They hope so anyway in the years to come. Your overall thoughts on what that does for the QB market? Oh, I mean, it's it's one of those things, those numbers. I mean, it's incredible what the numbers continue to be when you look at new quarterback contracts. I mean, good for Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he was – he was passed over by Tua at Alabama, goes to Oklahoma, kind of has a resurgence of his college career. Still many thought, not really an NFL quarterback. So he's had so much stacked against him. And then you just saw it all come through last year. I know a lot of that had to do with, you know, Shane Steichen. So we'll see what Nick Sirianni and company can do in Philadelphia to continue elevating the play of Jalen Hurts. Um, but it, it's it's impressive. I mean, he seems like a stand-up individual, so I'm very, very happy for him. But one of the things that it does, it just continues to up that quarterback market. I mean, Jimmy, you might be in the best spot being a Chiefs guy with the, with the oh, it's, contract. It's because in like three or four years, you might laugh at the amount of money mm-hmm. that other guys are making yep. when Patrick Mahomes is still competing for those MVPs and Super Bowls. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what it continues to do. I, I would assume the next guy's in I would assume Lamar Jackson's going to get a big payday. I don't know if that's going to be in Baltimore, if it's going to be somewhere else, and then maybe a Justin Herbert. So these are guys that are going to continue to break that market. Joe Burrow's probably not far behind. So it's one of those things where the numbers, I just kind of laugh because it's like, oh, what's the next one going to look like? I mean, you hear $255 million. That's unbelievable. Um, But that's just kind of what you pay for a quarterback. And you talk about the Colts have to find their guy. I think that you talk to every owner, they want to pay their quarterback that much money because when you're paying that quarterback that much money, you are probably doing what Jalen Hurts is doing and leading a team to the Super Bowl. So that's where you are. You, you want to be able to pay that kind of money, but you have to be able to find that kind of guy. $179 million of it uh, guaranteed. Uh, Casey, yeah. uh, great stuff. Um, good news for you in the time that it took to do this interview. We're now down to 10 days, 6 hours, 35 minutes, and 56 <laughs> seconds until the draft uh, kicks off next Thursday. Nobody so you've, counting or anything, yeah, you've bought yourself some time leading up to next week uh, when we can finally put this uh, crazy offseason at least behind us to that point and then move forward with the expectations of whatever shuffles out of that one. Casey, thanks for your time. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Casey. That's Casey Valier of the Colts Radio Network. Jimmy, yeah, a lot of ramifications of the things that are coming down today. That Texans news, obviously big. We're going to get to that a little bit later on. We're going to talk to Kevin Lee coming up here in the next segment about the IndyCar race yesterday. But I even think that there's a tiny, tiny influence that the Jalen Hurts news today has on the Colts. I'm not saying that they were ever fully in in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. It appears that he's heading back to Baltimore. The power was always there for him to return it least and play the one year on that franchise tag when it's all said and done but the more and more money that gets shelled out to quarterbacks 
the more of a position of power it puts Lamar in in negotiating on his own behalf with his current team, I, yeah, the tires can still be kicked. Like, I mean, I mean, if if they're not willing to pay him, and the market's going to continue to dictate that this is what the going rate is for a quarterback in their early to mid twenties who's shown success. It only helps the other quarterbacks, which then means other teams could start sliding into it. Again, I'm not saying that the Colts are in on Lamar, but stuff's going to happen between now and the draft next week. And if all of a sudden you find yourself on the outside looking in on anybody that you wanted to draft, sure, I'm just throwing it out there. The larger issue for me and the larger issue for Lamar with all of this is unless he's willing to come down on that guaranteed right. money, because his whole thing is he looks at the Sean Watson deal, sees a fully guaranteed contract and says, that's what I want. That's what I deserve. Th- that's my floor. Now you yeah. see. Yeah. Now you see another top tier quarterback who, I mean, you could make an argument. Like, I don't know how many people want to make it, but you can make an argument as a better quarterback. He definitely is a better quarterback right now. Is he the overall better quarterback? I mean, you want to see it more year over year from Jalen Hurts, but well-deserving of that money, a player that's in the same echelon of Lamar Jackson, if not beyond, will he come down? And if he does come down from fully guaranteed, is that with Baltimore? Does he settle right. down and like where he's at there? And it's going to be fascinating. And are you willing to give up two first-round picks in addition to paying a guy, which, again, if the value gets so skewed against you to trade up in this draft to get who you want, and it may end up costing you two first-round draft picks, which quarterback is worth the first two? I'm just... Sure. Again... All of these values have to get sort of put in the calculator of what do you want, what guarantees do you want to give, what guarantees do you want of seeing the play of the quarterback. I don't think this whole situation is done, especially if number two is in play, which apparently it's more in play than we even thought when we came on the air earlier today. You know a guy who's in play? Kyle Kirkwood. He just won his first IndyCar race yesterday, and a little bit of a power shift three races into this IndyCar season. We'll get into that with Kevin Lee and more. It's the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is the Fan Midday Show. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Glad you could join us on a Monday. Caught up in a massive sports week. Third race of the young IndyCar season. And one of the great stops each and every year out in Long Beach. Race that dates back to the mid-1970s. And it has been a very friendly racetrack over the last oh, half decade or so for Andretti Autosport, who gets another driver into victory lane yesterday Kyle Kirkwood wins for the first time in his young IndyCar career led 53 of the 85 laps en route to his first IndyCar victory teammate Romain Grosjean ended up second in that race to talk more about it the man who knows more about IndyCar than anybody I know he is the great Kevin Lee it's been a long time since I've been in this building old boss how are you Kevin I don't even get in very much, so we're about even there. Uh, since COVID, we all learned how to kind of do things differently and, and work remotely quite a bit. And you need to know more people. If I'm the person that knows the most, you need to get out more. Well, I just I stop at you, so I'm sure that there's plenty. Um, great win yesterday for Kyle Kirkwood. 
maybe a greater win for Andretti Autosport across the board, just kind of given their young roster and and going to a place where they have success. Sort of, I guess, handicap how important yesterday was for those at the top in terms of needing to have that finish. It was really significant. So they, they've shown the pace, and they've been fast, especially in street races, street courses. Uh, they were dominant in qualifying at St. Petersburg, and it all went wrong with all four cars getting involved in crashes, and really none their their fault. Uh, so that was a bit of an anomaly. They weren't very good, particularly at Texas, but they expected to be good here. So it wasn't a big shocker that, that they were strong in qualifying, but they needed to finish it off. Kyle Kirkwood needed to finish one off. Uh, he's probably the most heralded junior formula driver, especially American, that we've seen in at least a quarter century or so with the success he'd had. And he had a really rough rookie season last year with A.J. Foyt racing. And and the Foyt team, it's been a long time since they've had success, and he was used to winning. And I think he would admit that he probably at times pushed a little bit too much. And there were some things that were not his fault. There were some things that were not the team's fault either. Uh, But it didn't go well. But he gets into a better car, and then you don't have to press as much and you get a chance to really finish the job. And he admitted uh, to me a couple of days ago that, yeah, I am feeling a little bit of pressure. I'm not going to lie about it, so I, I need to convert something. And I, I feel like you know a podium would have probably been good enough to kind of stop some conversation, but getting a win, now I kind of fear for the rest because this guy is immensely talented, and now that he's got the monkey off his back and has some confidence, I'm not going to say he's going to win a championship or anything this year, but he might win again this year, and he might consistently run up front whenever they have a good car. Kevin, we talk all the time in sports about that 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 maiden win, that first victory across whatever it is, whether it's your rookie in the NBA or whether you're a driver on the IndyCar circuit. When you talk about that experience, and, and Kyle kind of put it into perspective yesterday, saying he was just happy to just win the pole, but it's incredible for him. He's over the moon right now was his quote. What is that like in IndyCar to capture that first win? I think that first one is is the one that kind of opens things up. And Marcus Erickson has talked a lot about this as well. This is a guy that uh, had immense success coming up to the Formula One world. And then you get to Formula One and you were the backmarker team and you run between 15th and 20th every week for five years and you lose your confidence. And he comes over to IndyCar and, and the team he was with, Schmidt Peterson at the time, was not fantastic and he didn't have great results. So, He didn't have confidence, and it started to grow, and now he's a different driver now that he's won multiple races, and he's a legit championship contender. So um, no matter what you do, once you have some success, yes, you believe in yourself, but I think that's just that little extra edge that comes with not just hoping for it but expecting it. Kevin Lee joining us, reacting to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach yesterday. Kirkwood's victory takes him to fifth in the standings. He mentioned Marcus Erickson first in the points after three races have been run this year. And because of an early mechanical issue, Scott Dixon finishes last in that race and falls to sixth. Pato Awards led more laps than anybody who hasn't won this year. He's second in the standings. It's an interesting year for me, Kevin, because again, I don't, I don't know the backstory as much as you know. You just painted the picture of how talented Kyle Kirkwood sort of is. I, I feel like, from my perch, we're in this sort of trans 
transition period in terms of stars of this sport. And as more and more eyeballs get closer to the entire month of May, and we've got one more race before we get to the road course here, and then obviously the grand spectacle at the end of of the month of May, where is this sport in terms of, I'm not saying the passing of the torch, but trying to sort of create what those next household names are in the sport? Because this to me is a really fascinating year when you look at all those names at the top of the standings. I think you have kind of two groups and it it could be the perfect scenario that you have the legends of the sport that are still strong like scott dixon like elio castroneves especially when you're talking about indianapolis tony canon's going to be back at the indianapolis 500 for his last go and he's in a potential winning car will power these are all-time greats in the sport and then you have young really talented and interesting people uh, like Pato Award. He's, he's a fascinating young man. Newgarden's kind of in the middle. I think you could almost put Newgarden, yeah. even though he's barely 33 years old, in that category with those veterans. But he's got another decade if he wants it uh, after winning two championships so far. Pelot is still a rising star and already a champion. McLaughlin is in that category of really good and also really interesting. The people, when they get to know him, are going to like him more. Herta, young superstar, still 23, and I think this will be, what, his fifth Indy 500 yeah, wild. coming up. So, uh, And then you add Kirkwood to this list, too. So it, it's a nice mix, and yet you want to start developing those, those young drivers. That's something that IndyCar dealt with. Yes, the split was a big deal in 96, but it also coincided with many of the legends of the sport retiring within about a five-year span. And I think NASCAR has gone through that in the last few years with many of their big names going away, that they're in a transition period now, too, trying to reestablish people that uh, drivers that people love. To that end, Kevin, there's obviously plenty of ways for, for fans to continue or the, the sport itself to grow even further. Obviously, two races, as Will mentioned there, until the 500, of course, you can follow your work and the entire network's work on NBC Sports and, of course, Trackside here on 107.5 The Fan. But when we look at, we had Mark Janes on last week, and he mentioned the significance of the docu-series 100 Days to Indy. From your perspective, what are you kind of monitoring with that and how insightful, not just for sport growth, but just all levels of IndyCar fans, do they hope to have this cover all those bases over the course of the run to the 500? So the idea is to introduce the sport to people that don't have access to it or have not uh, been in or interested in it. So it it works out. And I've seen the premiere. They had a premiere here on Wednesday night in Los Angeles. And I've gotten to know the producers a little bit. I'm one of the people that they sit down with and talk with and, you know, kind of help advise them because they're new to the sport and they don't know a lot about it, especially coming in. But that's fine. Uh, they've got us. We need other people <laughs> yeah. to be interested. And these are the same people, many of them at least, that produce Full Swing, the golf uh, show yeah. on Netflix, which I've watched most of, and I think it's great. And it's the same kind of thing. And it's kind of an internal debate within our little world. Should they be exploring uh, more of the rivalries and, and finding hate and contention? And the first episode doesn't really do that. And the more I think about it, I think that's probably right. One, because there's not enough time. And two, the whole idea behind this, at least from IndyCar's standpoint, is we want people to learn something about these drivers and uh, find something that they latch onto and want to watch them more. I think, and people have told me this, that have no interest in golf, 
that have watched Full Swing and watched more of the Masters than they ever had yeah. because they felt like they knew some of the characters. And that's what you're hoping with this program as well. It's not on a traditional network. It's on the CW. It's produced by Vice. It'll be streamed and available to download. Uh, but that's a younger audience. And that's what every sport is trying to do is is to get younger. But I, I will say this. Uh, hardcore fans will still like it. There's nothing in it. Uh, we're all a little bit worried. Are they going to kind of manufacture storylines? Is it going to be disingenuous? And, and no, I don't think so. I think it serves the purpose for true IndyCar fans, and it hopes hopefully gets you to learn a little bit more about some of the characters. Yeah, and as someone who spends every waking day on the PGA Tour for the most part, and my, I didn't learn a ton from Full Swing. Most of those guys I knew or knew a lot of the backstory, but I picked up a couple of things. And again, it's not a, yeah. it's enjoyable to watch from my standpoint because you get a few things, but I can't imagine how enjoyable it was for other people to watch who wanted to learn a lot. And that's and that's the key, right? It's, it's, you're trying to attract eyeballs from a completely different location and i had to go into it with that understanding of look i'm they're not going to teach me a whole lot but i could learn a few things from it yeah it's it was for me (laughs) yeah which is totally great uh kevin uh testing later on this week glad they're not testing today there will be no testing today with as bad as it is outside Uh, what are we looking for this week in terms of what that might mean moving forward so this sort of starts the month of may it's the start of practice for the indianapolis 500 thursday and Friday, and we'll have it wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, so let's let's get ready for whatever twelve or thirteen hours on Peacock, starting at I think eleven a.m. on Thursday, eleven to one veterans, one to three rookies, and those that haven't been racing full time, which is a pretty big list. Uh, and then everyone until maybe six o'clock that day, and then I think it's scheduled for most of the day. And sometimes the schedule changes a little bit. For example, that looks like it might rain on Friday. They might extend things on Thursday. Uh, but it's a first chance to kind of learn what you have because just because you were good at Texas does not mean you're going to be good at, at Indianapolis. So it comes at you pretty quick when you get the four days of practice in May. So they'll want to get started, and especially for those that haven't been in a car for a while. This is a great chance to kind of dust off the rust. You know, the, the Tony Canons of the world. Catherine Legg is going to be out there, and she hasn't been in an Indy car in 10 years. So that's going to be important for her. Kevin, when you look up and down the standings, we continue the road to the 500. What's been the biggest thing on IndyCar at this point in time? Maybe surprised you, maybe has impressed you the most at this stage. Well, certainly up until this weekend, it would have been Hukos Hollinger racing with what they've been able to do in the first two races. Uh, Callum Eilat had finished, I think, fifth and ninth in the two races. And Augustine Canapino, who none of us knew anything about, and he knew nothing about this type of racing, basically racing a type of stock car in Argentina, touring cars, and came over, and and we all assumed even his team owner said, yeah, he's probably going to be last for a while, uh, but it'll get better. And he wasn't last, and he did what he had to do and and scored points and finished 12th in the first two races. It was a a tougher go for him this weekend, but I think that's been the one thing that kind of stands out. Maybe the resurgence of Andretti Autosport is, is something, even though Yesterday was the first result. They've been pretty strong all season long, and they're back in the mix. And Errol McLaren, I think, is proving that they are for real. There are just a lot of contenders. It's not just Penske Ganassi. It's Errol McLaren, and I think it's Andretti again, too. He's Kevin Lee. A lot of storylines to follow. We're getting closer and closer to the month of May, and uh, I th- I'll be very interested in watching how it all plays out this week. Always nice to see who's got even a little bit of speed. We know it won't have a, a huge impact on the race, but it's always good to see kind of who's got things tuned up. We'll be watching as always. Thanks, Kev. 
All right, good to talk to you, Will. That is Kevin Lee. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird because I feel like we had, Jimmy, you know, manufacturer kind of wars, and then maybe be like two kind of going back and forth at it. But from just my, you know, easy chair watching these races, I guess, over the last couple of weeks, it's no, there's no dominant force right now. And again, it goes, you go from a big oval to a street, and there's certainly inherent advantages to how certain teams have performed through the years. But man, it'd be really cool to have a 500 where, you know, there's some years where it's like, okay, you know, one of two groups of cars sure. are really going to be in it, you know, when it's all said and done. And if it's four or five deep, six deep maybe when you kind of look at some of the teams that are really just built to run really strong when it comes to the race that matters the most um, just we just need a good race we yeah that's what we want we want a really good race with you know some passing some drama some names and i don't know if the status quo necessarily plays this year i think it'd be cool to have you know three or four new stories at the front of that pack down the stretch to sort of say that this might be the the passing of the torch new generation of guys that are going for it i'm right there with you and you know that from a larger perspective any 500 execs and any car execs as a whole want that particularly when you look at the lay of the land of the 100 days to indy coming out and trying to attract new fans you're part about in general like i and Kevin hit that on the head as well. I don't want to see manufactured stuff. I don't want to see any like, you know, fake hate or fake storylines. He's stressed. Yeah. He doesn't think that's what this is going to be. But, you know, to the larger angle, yes. It, I don't want to put the word necessarily parody out there, but the idea of a wide open 500. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sign me up. Love to see that. And I think the fan base would as well. Yeah. Well, you need a character, right? And you're going to develop, you're going to find characters. And this is a sport, especially where you don't get to know the athletes at all. They're wearing a helmet. They're in a car. You see them maybe for some pre-race and some post-race, and you get a little bit of some character-driven stuff out of it. But we haven't really had – there hasn't been an IndyCar driver that has transcended the sport since Elio. Right. I mean, truly transcended the sport. There's some guys that have some great personalities within the sport, but they're within that own, our own little bubble. The drive to survive F1 sort of model, which then led to – you know, full swing and a number of other sort of docks in that vein. And what just happened with golf is that it wasn't the guys that you sort of already knew that are getting more attention from the 10 part or sorry, eight part Netflix documentary on the golf side. It was the one or two guys that you maybe didn't know about who happened to be the most fascinating characters on that show. And they're the ones that are seeing the bigger galleries, the better social media interaction, all of the, the measurables that these organizations are using to sort of see what the engagement is like with audiences of a diverse cross-section of this country and that's what indycar could really i think use right now because just watching a car and take my kids out there they're going to root for the blue car the green car the pink car whatever (laughs) it might be right but you tune in and you're like oh i just saw this documentary and insert driver name here who's got this you know wild setup at home or maybe they go back if it's a non-american to the home country and do some sort of stuff here and there and you get to really understand the person that's when you sort of organically grow a fan base that way which we don't have the time anymore especially in some of these broadcasts to be able to do a lot of the building of the marketing of stars like we had when there wasn't as much distracting our attention and so it has the potential i'm not saying it's going to happen but i'd be i'd be very curious to watch this too because They'll, I'm sure they'll hit the superstars that are there, but I think it's going to be the one or two drivers you don't expect that end up with the biggest push out of this. And then if they can match that with success on the racetrack, 
then it's a home run for them and for the sport to try and develop a couple of people that you're interested in watching. Yeah, and you mentioned Drive to Survive and the, just the success rate and the expansion. I mean, obviously, Formula One, a, a widely popular yeah. you know sport and, and circuit in general, but you look at just the impact that had. Regardless of which sport you're coming from, obviously this angle we're talking about IndyCar, you hope you have the same level or at least half of the same level and impact in terms of viewership retention and people that are interested in the race itself. I think it's one of those where, man, you wish they would have been earlier, been quicker, yeah. you know, seat at the table after Drive to Survive, I say in their fifth season now. But if you can even capture half of that, it's a win for IndyCar. And I think the best thing about this and Again, it's not to take away from the entire IndyCar season, but we know that the IndyCar season is the Indy 500 and then the rest of the IndyCar season. And for them to have a show that builds to that race, if everything works like I just talked about in terms of developing personalities, then it helps the trickle down. Do you want a bigger audience watching the Indy 500? Absolutely. We want everybody to see how great that race is. You want greater retention. But you want greater retention. And I think a lot of times a drive for survive, you get to the end of it and and this was my biggest complaint or criticism of the um, you know, full swing on Netflix is that it, it did a horrible job chronologically of telling what the PGA tour season looked like. It was eight vignettes on particular players. It was told most of the time completely out of sequence. And so it really didn't give you any incentive to try and find these guys and understand what they're doing through the course of the year and drive to survive follows a little bit more chronologically, but it's still doing those episodic follow an individual. And so it can get a little bit backwards. Like you can get jogged around that timeline. It's gonna be really hard to get jogged around a timeline when it's all building towards one singular event, which is the 500, which I think from a user friendly standpoint is going to be really good to the viewer. So I'm excited from that standpoint because I think it all can kind of come to a head to where it's, you know, bubbling to where, you know, full swing, you could pick it up right now and start watching, even though we're four months into a golf season that wasn't a part of that show. <laughs> sure. And we're eight months removed from any of the golf that you'd see on that show. And you could still sort of pick it up and just understand, oh, this guy is a professional golfer and this is what he did in whatever this frame of time is that they're electing to tell this story. But I think this one having an actual crescendo endpoint has, in my opinion, the best um, payoff, the best potential payoff of what we've seen for that particular sport. But it's just a, a factor of how many will watch and then does it dra- grab their attention? And that's the million dollar question that we can spend millions and never actually get an answer to. We don't sometimes know exactly what will, dra- will drive people's attention to the next thing. And there's an easy way, at least from afar, to kind of tell the success rate or the hit rate on it. Our, obviously, the larger issue will be, okay, what are the numbers like? Is there a number increase, not just from watching 100 Days to Indy, but from the viewership on the races leading up to the 500 and ultimately the 500 itself. But you're right. You can't fumble this. Like if you're stepping yeah. into this documentary wars or you're trying this angle to try to navigate fans, it can't be disingenuous. It has to be true, authentic action in the lead up to it. I think you're exactly right. Having a great game plan for it is the right way to play. And then what's the engagement like on Twitter? What, what is the interaction yep. with it after these episodes air and in the lead up to the race and post race itself? It's going to be fascinating to watch. You can't, have this conversation unless you actually take the chance. IndyCar is doing that, and I'm going to watch. I'm looking forward to it. I, I am too. Uh, you know who might be at that race? The Colts' next quarterback. Hey. Don't know who that's going to be. Could be a rookie. Could not be. Could moves that have been made or will be made because of information that came out today have a factor in that? If you haven't heard some of the big stories of the day, we'll refresh that and what it might mean for the Colts coming up. It's the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett here on 107.5 93.5 The Fan. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Coming up at the top of the next hour, if he is awake yet, Michael Grady. I think that game might still be going on. <laughs> Nuggets and Timberwolves from last night. That was a late night. Even in Denver, that's a late night for that game to go. Uh, we'll talk about uh, T-Wolves. Kind of stuff that we've seen from playoff teams. We talked about it a lot in the first hour, Jimmy, about you know, building you know, a roster that's good for a postseason sort of run and what the Pacers kind of need to do. And and you can sort of transition over to the Colts and what the Colts need to do. I, I am an hour into hearing this news about the Texans and more sort of confirming that they may be more sellers than buyers at number two, depending on how things sort of fall. And I don't really know how to fully analyze what this might mean, good or bad, because we assumed a quarterback was going there anyway if they kept that pick. I don't think there's a scenario where they trade it to the Colts. So how much does it even really – it doesn't change anything here, does it? So – there's a couple things. I, I, that I, I tease you that against a hard out, and you no. have less than a minute to give me your thoughts. Yeah, so so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we will we will open that up further at two thirty. But for me, what it changes now is that instead of the hopefulness last week, of, okay, maybe the Texans go best available and they go like Will Anderson for the sake of argument, and then the Cardinals maybe don't trade at three, or maybe the Colts trade up to three. It takes C.J. Stroud off the board in my mind because if someone trades up with Houston now, I think it would be to go get Stroud because the Panthers went young so maybe it takes the what looked like a pipe dream for a while but now is a possibility and now back to a pipe dream is where it puts the CJ Stroud saga in my mind that's the biggest thing that's impacted there okay because the Colts aren't getting two you're right it's not happening yeah I I don't know if there's more scenarios or less scenarios now for the Colts with this being on the board that's something I still have to think about (laughs) we know what we should we should take another break because I need to run all the numbers again Michael Grady coming up top of the next hour Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Fan Midday Show, along with Will Haskett. I am Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, guiding us smoothly throughout the afternoon. Speaking of smooth, not only was he smooth last night for his opening playoff broadcast as the voice of the Timberwolves on Bally Sports North, but also kind enough to come back to the roots with us a little bit. It's Michael Grady. MG, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. You guys really know how to welcome a guy. Turn of the Mac, really? 
<laughs> Eddie Garrison looking looking out for you. He, he, he had that he had that lineup ready to roll. Oh man, man! That's the only pre-production we did for the entire show was the entry music to the sec, to the third hour. That's all we did. Oh, oh, memories. <laughs> uh, MG, I, I want to pick up on a positive note. I know you and I joked about you know obviously not the start that the Timberwolves wanted to this series, but but for you, take us through the lead up to that first playoff game on the call for Bally Sports North. We, we've obviously tossed the roses around on this journey, but what was that like for you, my friend? Uh, it was great. It was great. My first my first playoff call was uh, a year ago um, with uh, the Nets. Right. I think it was game two in Boston, and um, that was a great experience. Boston's amazing. And, you know, first year with the, the Timberwolves, and from a play-by-play, from a storytelling perspective, because, you know, as you guys know, the, the last thing we want is boring. You know, right. give us interesting. If you, you know, so uh, they weren't terrible this season. They weren't spectacular. They had great moments. They had low moments. You know, your typical ups and downs of a long season. And, uh, you know, punching their ticket to the playoffs, and they just kind of ran out of gas, uh, you know, early in that game uh, yesterday. Altitude, two playing games, and Denver looked fresh. But for me personally, I tell you what really stood out to me. Uh, Gus Johnson was on the call for TNT, and he is—he uh, has long been one of my inspirations in watching him with college basketball, with CBS and other amazing broadcasts, and and I uh, really looked up to him. And so to be able to chat with him before the game and 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 um, see how happy he was for me because he's a former Minnesota Timberwolves play-by-play guy himself, um, and before he moved on to do amazing things. That was a real, that was a real treat for me, no question. Yeah, that's cool. Michael Grady joining us. Uh, Got to talk a little bit about this game, but I want to talk about it more and yeah. frame it more, Michael, within sort of the conversation we've been having today about the Pacers going into this offseason and how you assemble a roster to try and be successful at this time of year. Obviously, a Timberwolves team that made the big swing last summer to try and put together a roster that I think in these types of moments, and again, one game does not dictate how a series is going to go, but in watching this past weekend, it's just hard to ignore how much Big time players and stars matter when we get to this type of this this time of the season. Uh, how much of that, in terms of that, the risk that had to be taken on to be able to make that happen, is kind of the philosophy you would expect to see teams that need to make that step take? Yeah, you. I mean, it's true. You can't win without you know elite players. Um, Taking a step further, you can't really win. Uh, put yourself in championship consideration, in my opinion, um, without going over the luxury tax. Uh, that's a very that's that's the thing that a lot, a lot of owners don't want to get into. But a lot of owners that win championships, um, you know, they throw caution to the wind with stuff like that. I don't mean in terms of just recklessly throwing people money, but if you have someone who's valuable and makes you a championship contender, and you don't want to disrupt disrupt continuity, then you have to pay your people. And so we've seen that, obviously, with Golden State, with the amazing players that they drafted over the years and keeping them in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, I should say. Um, Milwaukee could have lost Giannis Antetokounmpo, but they made a commitment to him to go over the luxury tax, spend money, bring in a Drew Holiday, put pieces around Giannis to win an NBA championship. And so if you have a, a special player, especially one that – you feel as a centerpiece that you can build around, then you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to surround that player with talent. Because if you don't, again, guys talk around the league. 
You know, oh, you, oh, oh, they did this for you. They did that for you. They brought this player in for you. They take care of you this way. Dang, I'm over here trying to get help, and I'm struggling through an 82 game season to maybe make the playoffs or maybe get to the second round. So I think it's imperative that if you have that centerpiece, like I said, to surround them with talent and then roll the dice and see what happens. That's the only way to win. MG, when you look at this series, I mean, obviously it's the top seed in the West and the Denver Nuggets, and I'm looking forward to just as much as I was last night, what the environment's like in Minnesota. These are two fan bases that you know are as passionate as any when it comes to playoff basketball. They're both very, very hungry. But when you look at last night, where did things start to really get away from the Timberwolves in your mind, and what kind of adjustments do you need to see as this series goes on? So it was a slow start. Second quarter, things started to go the opposite direction. Denver had a nice lead at halftime. And then in the third quarter, everything just went off the rails. There was no rhythm whatsoever. They were turning the basketball over. They were getting bad shots. They couldn't hit anything. They were sub-40% shooting for most of the game. Couldn't hit threes. The rhythm that we saw in the playing games just was not there. And the big question mark, and we talk about this a lot in football, especially back in the days with the Colts with Peyton Manning on whether or not they were hurt by having a bye week because they just didn't look sharp in their first uh, first playoff game. And with the whole play-in set up now, the higher seeds all basically get a week off while the 7, 8, 9, 10 teams battle each other in the play-in games. And so the question is always going to be, okay, these play-in teams, once they punch their ticket, they've been playing games and they're in rhythm and they're, in, they're hitting their stride while the higher seeds, they have a week off. What are they doing? Are they resting? Yeah, they're getting healthy, but what is their rhythm going to look like? So that was one of the big question marks heading into last night. But Denver looked fresh. They looked more aggressive. And, again, the Timberwolves looked higher um, at altitude after playing two games, a hard-fought game against the Lakers on Tuesday, a blowout victory over OKC on Friday, fly to, uh, fly to Denver on Saturday, and then you play on Sunday. Uh, they, just, they just looked flat, really. And so with two days off tomorrow, today and tomorrow and coming on Wednesday, I expect to see a completely different Minnesota Timberwolves team. Denver still – heavily favored in this series, and they should be. They're a number one seed, but this series is not going to look like a 30-point blowout each game of the series. This is the first time since MG was doing updates for Bob Lovell on the weekends back in 2004 that the Timberwolves have made back-to-back playoff appearances, <laughs> Michael. So there's there, there is some, uh, there's some, there's some momentum building for this team but obviously they wanted to take that sort of next step the next step would be winning a series in this playoff year that's a big task against the number one seed but you mentioned you don't expect to see things in game two the way you saw in game one what about the makeup of this team that you've seen through the year gives them that potential to maybe find a gear that could make this a series against the nuggets that every time they've been slapped they found a way to bounce back i mean every single time this season there have been countless disappointing losses over the year over the year and they were all self-inflicted wounds i mean you see this really with every nba team there's going to be games where oh this should be an easy w and they just looked awful and then there are stretches of games where there's a losing streak where you say i don't know how they're going to recover they're just not going to make the postseason i don't know if they're going to make the plane at all and every time that they it looks like it they've hit rock bottom they bounce back in a big way. And that's kind of been the story of the season. Their growth over the coming years 
is not really dropping those games to the Houstons of the world. Um, they dropped both games to the Charlotte Hornets this season. Um, they lost to Portland when Portland was playing all G League guys and picking guys up off the street late in the season. Um, they had some horrible losses, and it's a real sign of immaturity with this group, and that will get them to a higher seat in future seasons when they take care of those games. But those games put them in the predicament that they're in right now. At the same time, even though they had a bunch of disappointing losses, they always seem to bounce back in a big way. So I fully expect that. That doesn't mean that they're going to win on Wednesday night, but it's not going to be the drubbing that we saw last night. I expect them to play with a lot more pride. I expect Towns to hit shots that he was missing last night. Anthony Edwards continuing to be active. I think Gobert was underutilized in the game last night and some really weak passes to him inside. So, uh, yeah, this is a, it's an interesting team. It's an interesting group of guys. I mean, we had a fight in a game against New Orleans in the last game of the regular season between Gobert and Kyle Anderson, of course. Yep. Jaden McDaniels, one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, punched a wall and broke his hand. And somehow they still won that basketball game. So that's really been the story of the season. Michael Grady with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Grady, the TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on Bally Sports North. MG, obviously you're focused in on your series, T-Wolves, Nuggets, but when you look big picture NBA playoffs to this point, what series has caught your eye or caught your eye the most that you're looking forward to seeing how that plays out outside of your own? I mean, you know, uh, you know, coming up in Indiana, you always have this underdog mentality, whether it's Pacers and the Knicks or Pacers and uh, the Bulls and just the way that basketball is just in the DNA of the city. And when the team is on a roll and doing something special, it just captures everybody's imagination and everybody is beaming with pride with what the team is doing. And I say all that to say what's happening in Sacramento, making their first postseason in 16 years and the electricity in that game won against the, against the Golden State Warriors I mean, you, I, don't, I don't care if you've never been a Kings fan before. Like, you just have to smile seeing how much it meant to those players um, and how much it meant to the community uh, that they've completely turned things around. And, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, we had three, two or two games in Sacramento this season, and it was probably the loudest building um, that I've been in this season, um, hands down. So, I mean, they, the – the excitement is back. It's long been one of the best fan bases. They just haven't had anything to cheer about. And I've been really happy and, and proud uh, to see what they've been able to do this year and what they did in game one against, against the Warriors. So there's a lot of intriguing series. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind. I think Clippers and Phoenix is going to be a, a fantastic series. Um, I hate the injuries that we're seeing because yeah. I want Memphis and the Lakers to be a you know, to be a long, hard series, but we'll see what, what's happening with John Morant. But um, uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying I, – I've enjoyed game one. I'm looking forward to the game tonight, and uh, I just hope to see a competitive battle. It's been a wild season, and I'm expecting a wild playoff. Michael, injuries aside, you've seen you know so much of this great talent in the Western Conference this year. This is always a time of year if you're just kind of getting into the NBA, you're starting to watch some games other than your team throughout the year. You're trying to kind of find a story to sort of root for in players. I think it's easy to maybe say, is De'Aaron Fox kind of that guy that you're like, man, it's going to be so good to have more of a spotlight on him? Or, or give me some other players that you're like, man, it's going to be great to have a national game sort of recognition for some of the guys that we'll be seeing now in these primetime games. Mm, okay, off the top of my head, De'Aaron Fox is definitely one. He just made his first all-star game 
Um, my other first-time All-Star, uh, Anthony Edwards with the Timberwolves. Um, he's kind of beat up right now, um, but he's a special, special talent, and he's one of the lone reasons that the Timberwolves are in the playoffs because of his play while Carl Anthony Towns was hurt. So those are the first two guys that jump out at me in terms of young guys really doing something special. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other guys as I'm going quickly through my head. Um, but I think Fox is the guy, and I think the main thing is what he's been able to do in crunch time this season. You know, his numbers have been great over the year, but, you know, the NBA has given out a clutch award, and De'Aaron Fox is on that list along with Jimmy Butler and one other player. And uh, De'Aaron Fox has just been ridiculous. He's been unstoppable in fourth quarters this season. And I think it's awesome for folks being able to check him out. And that one-two punch with Malik Monk coming off the bench, we, of course, know uh, what Sabonis can do for sure. Um, but they're just a well-rounded machine. Uh, they're not going to win a championship this season, but they're really putting everybody on notice and they're building something special in Darren Fox being the head of that. I think it's great for the NBA because you have your mainstays for sure and your Giannis and your, your, uh, what's happening in Philadelphia and Embiid probably going to win an MVP this season. Miami with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and then, of course, in the Western Conference with LeBron, Golden State. I mean, you have your teams that you're used to seeing and Kevin Durant now with Phoenix. But I think it's great that these young and upcoming teams are really, again, putting everybody on notice and saying that they're going to be around here for a while. So, for me, that's that's really fun. That's really fun to see. Also, from a – I know we're not supposed to like the Knicks, but I really <laughs> like Taylor Brunson. Yeah. And I like <laughs> – I like what the I like what the Knicks are doing. Uh, I think the NBA is more interesting when the Knicks are at least competitive, um, for sure. And so I think um, I think that's great. It's a fun series with Cleveland. And then last but not least, you know my old, my old stomping ground um, uh, still feels like a home to me, Brooklyn. And having to trade Kyrie Irving away, having to trade Kevin Durant away, and then you get back your Spencer Dinwiddie's, your Dorian Finney-Smith, and then from things you get. Cam Johnson, and you get in Mikael Bridges, and Mikael's always been always been known as a, you know, a two-way player. He may be able to get you 15, maybe on a special night, get you 21. He's going to play lockdown defense on multiple positions. But since he's gotten to Brooklyn, he's been like a 28 points per game guy. And I think his story has been one of the special ones in the NBA this season as well. Mikael Bridges has been uh, amazing. Um, they're, in a, they're in a tough series with Philadelphia, but I think folks in Brooklyn have to feel good that, you know, they traded away two superstars, but they may have a budding superstar in Bridges. MG, I'm wondering what your overall synopsis from afar, takeaways from afar, because obviously you're on the grind of the 82-game season, so I know you're limited to being able to you know, mm-hmm. catch up on it on highlights or follow it from afar, but I know it has a special place in your heart. What your synopsis was of the Pacers' season as a whole and kind of where you see what they're trying to build here in Indiana? Uh, you know, it just felt like the fun was back. Um and and to me, that's what, what makes me happy is that folks were excited about going to games. There's nothing worse than knowing that you're in a somewhat of a re- rebuilding mode and you have a boring squad. I mean, that's, that's not providing the incentive to want to turn on the tube and watch Chris and Q or, 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 or head out to the field house. It's, it's so the fact that I know it didn't end the way that they wanted it to and injuries and other things getting in the way. But there was a stretch there where they were, I mean, a league pass must-watch team. 
and and that was I mean that that's that's fun. I mean, every game competitive and what Halliburton was doing this season and seeing Matherin come up and show what he was able to do and had a stretch where, you know, you had to talk about him being, dang, is he in rookie of the year consideration? Dang, is he in six man of the year consideration? I mean, those are fun conversations to have, you know, the season that, you know, Buddy Heald had shooting from, shooting from deep and just a competitive way that Rick Carlisle had the guys playing and battling. Um, I, it's something that the fan base can take pride in and be optimistic in terms of the future as long as they continue to add pieces to get stronger and stronger and not necessarily taking a step backwards. But, man, I mean, some, some fun games to watch. And the future is bright. You know, there's still work to be done. Um, but I was really proud watching the guys, you know, on League Pass and, and still staying in touch with people over there and, and, and what they're doing. It's really, really fascinating, really fun to watch. We all want the Pacers to be right where you're at right now, MG, which is involved in the playoffs and being a part of it. Obviously, you mentioned not the result you wanted last night, but we're looking forward to following along. Always happy for you, and, and thank you for making time for us. Enjoy the rest of the way here with Timberwolves Nuggets. You got it, my man. And no reason the Pacers can't make it next season. I think it'll be fun to watch. Hopefully they have good health, continue to add pieces, but no reason they shouldn't be in the postseason next year. Good to be on with you guys. That is Michael Grady. Thank you, Michael. You can follow him on Twitter, at Grady, the TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on Bally Sports North. A lot to unpack from that conversation. Uh, the main takeaway, non-Pacers division is, again, like you, you, we mentioned at the start of the show, you hate to see the level of injuries that have impacted oh, yeah. already these series. I mean, there's difference from, a obviously, a contributor and a high-level player took from beyond the arc like Tyler Hero, then Giannis Antetokounmpo and John Morant, but still, anytime you're having players go down and, in some instances, you're uncertain how long the absence is going to be, nothing can wreck the hype around a postseason nothing. more than injuries, and... Well, I'm not saying it, it's fully catastrophe. Not a great Sunday for yeah. the health of the sport right there, now. There's an old man um, policing his lawn right now somewhere saying, this is what load management does that makes them weak, and this is why they're all injured, <laughs> and they should be playing the full season. It's like, no, it's the reason why they're not playing full seasons is exactly what we saw in these games. Yeah. Like They're so big, so athletic, and then when these games truly matter, and I'm, again, it's disingenuous to say that game four of the NBA season is played with the same intensity as game one of the NBA playoffs. It just isn't. No. And it, it it's hard to understand that if you've been watching the sport for 40, 50 years because you just gradually sort of see it as the same. But these these they're so big, much bigger. They're so much stronger. They play with such power and strength that when all of a sudden you're putting it all on the line, there's bumps, there's trips, there's falls, there's you're fighting for a loose ball a little bit differently. You're going up for rebounds a little bit differently. You're trying to alter and block shots a little bit differently. And you know all of these physios that are being paid millions of dollars and all of these teams are trying to do their best to get these guys into peak shaped play in these moments, but then things happen. You know, watching the Anthony Davis injury yesterday in a very entertaining first half between the Lakers and the Grizzlies, you know, you're thinking, man, did he dislocate his shoulder? Did he rip a bicep? Did, like, what happened here? Because he bumped it on the way up. There's a lot of contact. He's pl- sort of playing through it and he's able to get back. 
And I get it's the Lakers, but the halftime show of that, you would have thought someone died. Like yeah, it was, absolutely. It was, it was palpable. I mean, general. they're showing how it's slow motion. They're doing <laughs> lip reading as he's walking into the locker room. They're, I think Mike Greenberg even threw to Jalen Rose, like, judging by what you saw there, what kind of injury do you think he's he looking and at like, here? And I'm like, wait, is he a doctor? <laughs> like, poor Jalen has to answer this question. And But it, it's, it's important because yep. – that first half, even though they were trailing in that game, his length and size was so important, especially against a Grizzlies team that doesn't have Steven Adams, that doesn't have a missing like one or two other names. And they're so small that the Lakers have a real chance to win that series with AD out there because of his blocks and his offensive rebounding. And now if Ja can't go in game two and you can find a way to steal a second game, and Memphis certainly has the depth around him to make that a competitive game and win that, but if AD gives it a go, which it looks like he's going to after he miraculously recovered from whatever Jalen diagnosed him with at halftime, I'm just and kidding. He, he, I'm just kidding. Way, he backed he did. it. No, he he did. He said, yeah. "You hope it's a stinger." Like he, yeah, yeah. And you know, he backed on that. that. That's just. I don't know. I don't I, even mean you're saying Jaylen. that. I, I don't think you were. I just no, no, mean no. he was right. He like, was right. He, it like, was a stinger in the terrible position yeah, that yes. Greenberg put him in. He was right. You just hope it's a stinger, and that's what it was. And it was. And and hopefully there's no residual there. But if Ja can't go and the Lakers go up two games to none in this one, going back to L. A., then it's that's a problem. That's a real problem for Memphis because. They can't win fully bully ball against the Lakers team that, I mean, they looked bigger. It's very rare that you see an NBA team that looks so much bigger than their opponent to where in that first half, I was shocked that the Lakers weren't leading at the half. I remember when I was looking at the score, I was like, wow, like credit to Memphis because Hachimura was having his way down low and in transition. I liked their secondary break. And AD, when he was on the court, was at times the the best player out there by head and shoulders yeah. to everybody else. But yeah, the injury thing is tough. Uh, you know, if, if Giannis can't go for the Bucks, they should be able to survive that series, you would think. But you want the stars in these games. You want to have the moments to where, again, I think the best game of the weekend was the Cavs-Knicks. You know, the Knicks up the whole game. The Cavs come roaring back. Mitchell's doing all sorts of things. You want to talk about that diving play when he, he rolls the ball forward for a fast break? You know, how much of a Superman dive is that in game 40? <laughs> you know, probably not. He's maybe trying to scoop that up and score or draw a foul. But it's going to take its toll. And I want to see a Brunson-Mitchell seven-game series. I want to see a Ja-LeBron-AD seven-game series. But, man, getting these guys to play seven games is going to be really – they're just taking a beating out there. It's And it's nothing you can do. I mean, could you blow a whistle every time there's contact? Absolutely you could, but that's not going to be a fun game either. So these guys are just going to get beat up, and we have to deal with the consequences of it. And a handful of them, particularly – Jaws and, and Tyler Heroes as well. They were all basketball plays. Not like someone was being reckless in the way that they were defending right, or no. anything like that. It's just it. your ADs as well. Like you're just looking at plays just happen because of just the wear and tear of a yeah. season and just freak accidents. Like I thought when they showed the replay and they kept showing it a couple times when Jog was airborne and tries to brace himself with his hand. I, like, I thought it was broken the way they were showing it and then they're able to tape it up and then you know you have the x-rays be negative so that's good but I've been so hyped about, and I still will be because I love the NBA, but you look at people that say, ah, you know, it's it's can't get through it. Well, if you couldn't get through the regular season, jump on a bandwagon somewhere and watch the playoffs. Yeah. It's wildly entertaining, but yes, it's going to drop a little bit, particularly a series that I thought was going to be a six or seven gamer between Memphis and LA. It takes a massive hit if Jaws missing any extended time in that series. Yeah. It just but, does. And let's just be, let's be realists about it. 
Ja doesn't play that game, Memphis can still win, but the amount of people tuning in to watch that game drops yeah. exponentially. Yeah. I mean, that's it, that's what happens when you're a star-driven league. If you are a fan in both cities, you're locked in. You're going to watch right. it no matter what. Is you know, my son was a huge John ja Morant fan. I think any young child changes colors on an annual basis sure. in terms of which way the wind sort of blows and last year we had tickets I think to the game that he sat out for load management or maybe had a little bit of a tweak of a lower back and that was a really somber <laughs> Gamebridge field house <laughs> with a lot of Morant jerseys and no Morant on the actual court but does he want to stay up and watch that game without John ja it probably not like he'll watch the highlights on YouTube the next day to see what happens right. but it doesn't become as much appointment viewing for people at that point in time. And that's not good business for the league, but I don't know what you can do about it. Like I, in my opinion, the NBA is less violent than it was in the eighties. Oh, and wildly considerably so. yes. less violent. Yes. You could get away with a lot more back then than you can now. <laughs> it's just, they're yeah. different. <laughs> they're different shapes of humans now. Right. And it's really difficult to play as explosive of a game and not be injured the way that these guys are. And I don't know. I, it, it, there's too many things. There's there's the money making aspect of it, and then there's the quality of product aspect of it. I'd like to see the playoff series shortened again, but that's never going to happen. That's that's your solution. You know, your best of fives into your best of sevens. The play in has been phenomenal. Like I love the play in, but could you even do a play in tighter to than having less teams that actually then make? the best of seven sort of not maybe I don't know how you tweak it to make it the best but yeah it's whoever makes it to the finals is probably going to be the healthiest of the two teams when it's all said and done it's just fascinating because it, it changes the entire it does it changes the We're entire one game in. setup of one game in of the of, I was going to say the east but yes you're right it changes so much in terms of the different storylines you're looking at but in particular from the eastern conference because Betting favorite at that point in time is the Milwaukee Bucks going in, not just to win the East, but to win it outright. That opens a ton up for Boston. It opens up more conversations for the type of noise that could be made by Cleveland, by New York. And you go out West, a lot of people were looking, oh, well, there was that tide of fans. L.A. has a great path. Maybe they're able, the Lakers, they're able to go and make a run to the finals. Then they have their struggles against Minnesota. That opens the door completely to your point, if they take care of business and go up 2-0 going back home and Ja isn't able to go, it changes the entire totally. dynamic of what the Western yeah. Conference looks like towards the path to get a finals appearance for either team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, I, I say it's only one game where we're having these big conversations about these teams and they could miss one game and come back and then be healthy the rest of the way. But it is... It's worth talking about, and it's worth raising the flag a little bit today. And maybe it's freakish. Maybe it was just the scenario of what it happened to be. If you had taken all of these injuries, which maybe are miss a game here or miss a game there, and you'd spread them out over the course of the playoffs, like Ja misses game three of the Western Conference Finals, and Giannis misses game four of the Eastern Conference Semifinals, would we be talking about this being some sort of epidemic around the league? Probably not. But the fact that it happened on a weekend where everybody's flocking back to the NBA after a year of, I mean, especially if you're a Pacers fan, like we weren't paying as close attention to this team over the last couple of months as we were at the beginning of the year. Just to be honest about that, like the way the season played out. So we're all flocking back to the TVs this week to watch these NBA games, and then this all happens in a very tight window of time. It's worth talking about. I think the best playoff game of the week is tonight, by the way. 
Warriors Kings game too, I think might be the best playoff game of the entire week. It's a must win for Golden State. That place is going to be obscenely loud. I mean, there may be rivets out of place in the roof <laughs> when that game is done tonight. I think that is man, that's late. I'm too uh, it's ten o'clock. You gotta it's do old. It. You gotta I th- do it. I think I might. Honey, if you're listening, I'm staying up late tonight. You can you can mail it in the rest of it. But I think that might be the game of the week and it comes on a Monday night tonight. Uh Jimmy, by the way. I know exactly what the Colts are going to do when they draft next. You week. have it finally. I have it. Okay, but wait for you to get. I it have to a me. note here that tells me exactly what they're going to do. I'm ready for that. I'm going to tell you after the break here. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Will Askett. Almost 3 o'clock, wow. John's in the wings somewhere, getting ready for the ride coming up. I teased this before the break. Um, High-placed sources... And the Colts organization, Jimmy, um, have leaked out information about what the Colts are going to do coming up in the 2023 draft. They're trading back. Um, <laughs> with the fourth pick, the Colts next week. What are the music ready? Do that ready for next week? Uh, you know, they could stay put. They could take a QB or trade up and take a QB <sighs> or trade down and maybe. You dog take a QB or not. <laughs> Sources continue to say all options are on the table, but the Colts like their position and are very excited. Wow. Okay. That is a source very near yeah. to the ownership group well of the Colts. Um, Where'd you develop that source? Oh, no, wait, I mean, look, it, take, it took a lot of lot of time, a lot of networking, a lot of... <laughs> Years of building. Yes, and a lot of trust exercises and everything like that, but that is where the Colts are leaning uh, in the draft next week. Uh, I joke, of course, that it was the tweet from Jim Ursay yesterday afternoon. Um, People are even more extreme than me reading the tea leaves. Look in the comments. Uh, it's Anthony Richardson. He's the first quarterback on the picture collage. It's him. That's who they're going with. They well, tip their hand. Now, you said it earlier. The picture collage of pictures that apparently just didn't come, uh, it didn't pixelate. I thought it was my phone. Said, no, there are, there's like, definitely a low resolution quality to all four of them. And I don't know where that came in the in the process. But is that like a smoke screen within the smoke screen? <laughs> that like it's a little, it's a little grainy to see these four guys. So maybe they aren't the four that you should be paying attention to oh man i just i cannot wait i don't know if i'm gonna be doing any shows next week if i'm like i will pay somebody can i do the show on friday like after the draft <laughs> i mean that is going so to be like do it. it's gonna be Go. a celebratory show because it will finally be over yes and we will know and we can just go with that because as you and i have discussed unless they I, trade back unless they <laughs> trade back I, but even if they do that, like Jimmy, I don't know how great the difference is between the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for them in any of the things that break out. Well, and it depends on what section of the fan base you ask. Because if you ask them, you know this very well, on Friday, or not Friday, on Thursday night at about midnight, you're going to have a press conference and the comment, yeah. regardless of who it is, 
Uh, this is the guy we wanted the whole time. Yes. He the was the top of our board. Yeah, the belt. We couldn't yeah. believe it, how well the board fell for us. So it depends on which section of the fan base you ask. Because for some, your worst case scenario is you stay at four and either by choice because you had Richardson or Levis there or just because Levis is all that's left, they take Will Levis. There's a section of the fan base that feels that way. There's another one that says, no, we don't want Richardson at all. Look at his numbers. Look at his accuracy issues. Oh, I'm going to be really mad if they take him. There's others that are probably now in this camp of, you know what? C.J. Stroud might be available. You just got to move up one spot prior yeah. to the Texans news today. Right. Go do that. So, yeah, it depends on which section of the fan base you go after. But, yes, there will be an answer finally on Friday morning. I, look, I know that some fans Next are, are not logical, but I would like to think if you sat both of those camps down, the Levis or Richardson folks, they would both look at each other across the table and say, but you know what? I know I'm not 100% right, and I know you're not 100% wrong. There's just no way of knowing. It's one of the... I think that there are fair criticisms of draft picks when positions of need are ignored, players of certain rankings are passed over to do. I'll never forget sitting in a bar in Florida watching whichever draft, the Quitty Pay draft, and there were a number of offensive tackles that were on the board, and that was the draft. You figured they were going to go offensive trench instead of defensive trench, and I remember being like, really? Like, <laughs> And I felt that was that was a pick, and it still may work out for the Colts long term, that it was up for debate based off of need and was easier, I think, to even argue over getting "quote unquote" wrong versus whatever they're left with if it's at four or three. Like I just, you won't know for a couple of years, so we're not even going to be able to have, in my opinion, I can't imagine us. Well, there are scenarios, but I can't imagine us being in a scenario next week where we even have a knee jerk reaction that could be so rash. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you're going to end up with one of them, one of three. By the time the night is over, I think the only thing that's going to really drive us crazy in this is what you could have given up to get to somebody, but we'll never know if that somebody is the right one. It's going to take time because I I agree with you. If I had my pick of the four, I think I'd go CJ Stroud. I think that's where I would go if I had to pick out of the four guys that are there. I like the size. I like what I saw in the semifinal game. I think it's the safest of the four picks whereas all of them are not 100% safe I'm but still if split the, between it, Stroud and Young just for the record but if they're still just kind of like and eh, and eh, eh, here to the grade it's like well it's going to take a while and especially if if you're in the Richardson camp it's going to take two three years before you know if that was the right move or the wrong move for whoever does or doesn't get them it's just going to be this is a really interesting draft predicament to be in because as we talked about last week, there's never been four quarterbacks selected the first four picks of the NFL draft. And the Colts could end up being the first team to ever select a quarterback at four after three quarterbacks went in front of them at one, two, and three. Right. And it's going to take a while until we know if that was the right move or not. I didn't get a chance to check this yesterday when the nugget-filled tweet by Jim Irsay was dropped. I didn't get a chance nuggets. to check the betting market. Big, nu- big nuggets. All over the place with nuggets. Uh, currently, the fourth draft pick, not by team, but just the fourth draft pick, plus 120 odds for Will Levis, the clubhouse leader there. Look, I, I've said this before, even though I'm in the Anthony Richardson camp, that's why I want them to take if it is between Levis and Richardson. Stroud obviously changed that conversation. We've talked about that in nauseam as well. 
But yes, if it's Richardson and Levis, I'm going to be a little frustrated that Friday morning. I'll, I'll be ticked off. But to a point that, okay, they've made the selection now. In my mind, because again, I, I think that it's a bad pick, they'll have made their bed, but you got to let it play out. And I, and I wish the best for him, just like I wished all these prospects. Like I want it to work out. When I hear things, though, that only like him because he's the most pro-ready guy. Like I've seen a lot of that recently uh, in the most recent either mock drafts or set up from uh, Matt Miller of ESPN. He said that there is obviously a Levis camp within the Colts complex, and right. it's because they think he's the most pro-ready. That's great. To your point, though, you have to simulate it out. And I know Boward's done this. I know they've done yes. this. You have to simulate it out more than just a two-year sample size. You have to look at yeah. where is the platform for growth, and is there room for growth still for this prospect? Yeah. Or is he, if he's pro-ready, that's great. If it's just two seasons of pro-ready and no upside development, that's a waste yeah. of a pick. Yeah, you have to get this right long-term. Sure. Hey. I was going to chime in here. Like, Remember, I keep going back to this, but last year all the quarterbacks were hyped up. Everyone had them going in the top 15, and then next thing happens, it's only Kenny Pickett. And you look at this year, and you kind of look at how the, the mock draft started. It was always... Bryce Young, number one, and then Stroud was always four. Levis was down to eight. Richardson further back. To me, I feel like we're getting closer to that again than we are the quarterbacks going one, two, three, four. And I think that's just because the realization is these guys – in my opinion, shouldn't be moving up or down the board based off of a yeah, workout. Well, like, but they are where they are. Right, they are where they are because the position is valued so much. And Jalen Hurts is two hundred and fifty-five million reasons why the position is valued <laughs> the way that it's sort yeah. of valued. Although there was a guy you could get in the second round, which is kind of the you know the the Hendon Hooker wild card in all of this. Is, is somebody going to end up with the second best or maybe even the best quarterback in this draft just because he's coming off of a knee injury and you can put him on the shelf for a year and get him into your place and the next thing you know you get a Hertz and, and maybe Hertz's success is the reason why Bryce Young is thought of as the number one prospect no matter what I'm not saying they're the same prospect but from a size and attribute sort of standpoint they do a lot of the things similarly in many respects Young coming out as a much more polished thrower of the football um and so that's why he's always kind of been the consensus number one in this class. But, Jimmy, we're looking at a scenario where if Houston is indeed dangling the number two pick, and I think about all those years, like when, when Al Davis was still with us and the Raiders every year would draft whoever had the fastest 40 time. Darius A. would be. You know, I mean, they would literally <laughs> – I mean, not even just that year. It would be like if, if there was a corner that ran like a four-two-five, you could guarantee yeah. he was going 15 yeah. slots higher than he should have and he was yep. going to the Raiders. Same thing with wide receivers. Sure. There are a number of people who are infatuated with the measurables of Richardson. And if the Houston pick is also in play, I just feel like you have now more potential for somebody who really wants to take that risk is going to like make that splash. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, if there is this scenario where a C.J. Stroud, who we never really thought was going to fall out of the first two, does end up falling to the potential of three... Now I'm like, well, I'm more interested in that scenario from an overpay standpoint. I've spent way too much time this weekend on with the good old draft value chart, you know, like how much each draft pick is valued. And look, they have this over at Colts headquarters and everybody does. But the difference between the third and the fourth pick is worth 400 in value. To put that into perspective, the difference between the first pick and the third pick is 800 in value. Okay. So if you're giving up 400, you're if you're Arizona, you're asking for at least 400 worth of value back. That's not a first round pick. It's not even a second round pick. You got to go really to 
the mid-second round to just equal that sort of out. So if you're the Colts and you truly want to move from four to three and not be fleeced in terms of value, there's definitely not another number one pick in terms of swapping. You could argue that your 35th overall pick is too much also in this. The question is, how much is everybody else going to overpay? And then what are you willing to overpay? And what I will never come to a realization about today before we get off the air, because I still haven't made up my mind, is if there truly are two picks for sale ahead of you now at two and three, if you're the Colts, does that make it easier for you to move to three because there's more possibility for teams to move up? Or has everything gotten even potentially more expensive? I don't know which way I... Just general market economics would tell you that now the third pick is cheaper if the second pick is also available. But I'm not necessarily sure if I buy that because I think it's right. going to make more people think, oh, this could happen. Or you could end up with that scenario of someone goes to two to get Richardson to guarantee it. Like there's one or two teams that are so infatuated, then all of a sudden Stroud's dangled there at three, and the rest of the league's like, no, no, wait a second. This is the better prospect. Let's go and get him. And now all of a sudden. Arizona, who uh, Arizona today, once they read that news coming out of Houston, if that's put, there's no way they're selling that pick until next Thursday. No chance. I wouldn't. We talked about that. You you keep it until the moment at you have least to, which is when you're on the clock. Or at least or the, Texans the Texans make a move, move before yes. then, if that happens. Yes, for me. And look, I don't want to hear this because it's not who I want them to take. But and truly, you look at everybody's. Unless someone's trying to get clickbaity, for the most part, there's not been a ton of. This team trades up for Will Levis. That just hasn't been the prevailing conversation. Yeah, I agree with one that. or two mocks. I agree of, with that. Uh, again, for just a flashy clicks. Oh, Will Levis number one overall. Like that. That's the word. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Again, that's not in the realm of realism for me. If the Colts genuinely believe that Will Levis is the best QB on their board, if that's where he ranks for them, I, they don't rank that way for me. But that's just for them. They don't have to do anything. Nothing. Because nobody. It, at least right now, and maybe there's someone else that really loves them that are keeping the cards yeah. very close. Nobody's trading up for Will Levis. It's not happening. Nobody's doing it. It's either for Stroud or for Richardson, or if Bryce Young becomes back available and the Texans suddenly decide they don't love him anymore. If they don't move, and then we get, and Will Levis is picked at four, and then you get that midnight press conference of Will Levis, no matter what, was on the post it note. I hope they're right. Then you better hope you're right. I think Friday will be. Real entertaining day for oh, those we'll in the in the sports talk market. No, I, I mean it, it'll. I, I think that then is a what? Real? I mean, I don't. I have often said I'm not. I'm not in favor of mortgaging everything moving forward. Like what Carolina gave up to get to the Bears. If you try to sort of equate that for the Colts, I'm not really sure it was totally worth it for whoever was going to be in this class. But having said all of that, man, you could have made a little bit of a move. I just, I don't know. Again, I don't know how much he's really given away. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, but going back to what Chris Boward 
kind of said in the days after the Panthers made that, or the days prior to the Panthers making that trade, there's been so much, I can't remember if it was before or after, but either way, his comment was still the same. We don't really see that we have to trade up. We don't see that as an evaluation with the quarterbacks that are there. We think we can still get our guy. If it's if it was Will Levis all along, yeah. then, it, well, A, everybody's wasted their time in terms of these mock drafts, but B, they, they were never going to make a move anyway because they know that this is the guy we want. There's not a ton of like massive intrigue. We're the ones that are here first bidders on it. Yeah. We can stay put at four, and we're going to get the guy we wanted. And yes, it'll be a soundbite treasure trove of defending the pick, talking about why it was theirs all along, we react to it for a little bit, and then ultimately the pressure's on Levis whenever he gets it's it. That's true. Because I just... But without I, a home run, it delays it delays the full anger against that potential pick because it still isn't a draft where you're like, yeah, but you re- like you knew that you, this guy was going to be better. We don't really know. We just think that we're losing the opportunity to have greatness when the reality is four guys, four quarterbacks are going to get picked one through four. I feel like it, that's almost inevitable at this point in time. I think the only scenario, and maybe not, maybe the Colts move into that slot. I think Levis is outside the top ten and maybe further if, if yeah, that's he right. doesn't go. Right. If, the if, if, the Colts, if the Colts move to three and swap with Arizona, then yeah, Levis is probably in free fall at that point in time, and maybe even out of the top ten. But if all four quarterbacks go in the top four, there's a real possibility that two of them just don't even pan out. And we don't even know which two. It sure. could be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Don't pan out That's as quarterbacks. That's life in the draft. Yeah, that it's happens, exactly right. right. I mean, so we won't be able to have a full bow on this conversation for years to come. And that's what makes this year so fascinating. It's not a guarantee. It's not a burrow. It's not a luck. It's not a even next year where I think we're going to be having much stronger conversations about Williams and, and maybe even one or two others. It's it's just a fascinating time to watch all of this, and I think the fact that there's so much movement, and if the Colts don't move at all, that's going to be the only thing that's that's really critical in the short term because it's going to play out in the field for two three years. Yeah, and again, we talked about it last week, and we're going to continue to hammer this point home as we go through the countdown to draft day. But it's almost worse. This is just my thought on it. It's almost worse to take the swing on Levis just for the sake of taking the swing and it doesn't pan out for you for the health of the franchise in the next five years versus standing pat or trading back and just taking the best available. I just don't want to give up next year's first round pick because I feel like you're sure. really going to need next year's first round pick. So just whatever you do to keep a little bit of, of draft capital. All right, speaking of capital, let's make some on the other side. I had a disappointing Sunday. I had a horrific week last yeah. week. So, um, so let's, uh, we got two NBA games tonight. Uh, you guys maybe can help us get healthy, get right on the other side. Final time, Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett here. Uh, quick news, Bobby Marks just tweeted this a few minutes ago in the NBA. Starting in the 2024-25 salary cap year, any team below the minimum salary floor, that's 90% of the cap, will not receive a tax distribution. So like San Antonio this year was below the floor. They would have forfeited $15 million. That was his tweet a moment ago. Uh, may have had um, implications for the Pacers at the very, very beginning of this rebuild, probably won't by then, especially with the Halliburton extension and everything coming, but more incentive for some competitive balance and team spending money across the NBA. Speaking of spending money, fellas, um, we all spent money this past week and didn't get much of it back. Unfortunately. Jimmy, Eddie, let's get right right now. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- 
way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day all focused on the NBA playoffs. Game two, Sixers-Nets. 76ers lead it one game to none. I'm going to take the over 212.5 in this ball game. I'm going to switch over now to the nightcap Warriors-Kings. Kings lead it one to nothing. Steph Curry over 29.5 total points tonight, but it's not enough like the beam, baby. Give me the Kings plus 110 on the money line over Golden State today. Struggle bus last week, 6-12, and 12, sputtering into the gates, trying to bounce back mm-hmm. this week. Eddie, what you got? I'm going against you. All right, which time? Wow. How are we going to parlay this? Uh, we're going to take the Warriors. Minus one and a half. Playing the spread? All I'm right. playing the spread. I like the minus 110 on the spread. Minus one and a half compared to the minus 126. Now minus 136. Uh, and it's moved to two. So it's minus two for the record here. Minus two at minus one. You still comfortable there with that two? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, more comfortable now with it on two than one and a half, but I don't care. I think they take care of business. In large part, Clay Thompson over 22 and a half. Looked at that. You like it? You going over? I am going over 22 and a half. He had 14 three-point shot attempts, and he only made four, I think. I'll take the law of averages and expect a bounce-back game from Clay Thompson. Uh, in terms of Major League Baseball, my Reds are playing today. They're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, which is uh, always hard, which is why we're taking the first half under five and a half total <laughs> runs. It's, uh, there's a lot of juice there, but still playing it. I like the pitching matchup. Hunter Green on the mound for the Reds, who's the proverbial ace per se, but I think their best pitcher is Nick Lodolo, who's on the mound tomorrow, but so, neither here nor there. So don't get your beak wet with plus 125 on, on the red legs tonight. You're, no. not, uh, you're, not, you're not riding those lanes? No. I think this is a massive night for the Warriors. They have to win this game, and it's weird for a team that shoots the ball so well. The thing I look at, the over-under in that game is 239.5. I think they go under tonight. I think there's a huge emotional letdown for Sacramento. It's hard to maintain that same energy, even though that building's going to be rocking. And in order for Golden State to contend in that game, they can't get up and down the floor with them either. And I'm not saying that they're going to, you can't play slow. I think it's hard for them to get to nearly 240. I don't see a 120 120 game between these two teams tonight. I could see a I could see a Warriors winning, you know, 108 102 kind of late game. So I like the under in that game. I respect the underplay. I'm going to piggyback off of Eddie a little bit and and add one pick to my slate. Uh Currently, I think it's at minus 115, minus 120. I'm going to take Clay Thompson. You took his over on points, correct? Just to make sure I'm not fully copycatting. Yep. I'm going to take over four and a half total three-point field goals. Uh, this from uh, just looking through the different like sports models. Uh, he's hit it nine of his last ten games, this particular over. So I'm going to say five three-pointers for Clay Thompson. I like that to the list as well. Right, I'm adding that to the parlay. We've gotten this a little crazy. But I got, you guys are going back and forth. I can't parlay both teams winning against each other. I was... I lose my golf bets, and I'm looking for like big paydays here. We talked about it last week. I can't have these, can't have these minus one ten lines. Like I need something with a little bit of juice. I had two guys last week. I told everybody in these airways a week ago. Matt Kuchar, lock him in for a top ten. He was on the top ten line for pretty much the entire week, and then faded yesterday with an even par final round seventy one, and ended up tied for nineteenth. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to watch in the midst of that Matt Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth epic back and forth you've stressed this a number of times i know we got a little less than a minute here but you've stressed this number of times uh, as we've had these back and forth to close the shows that 
There's no better juice than golf. So no regrettably, juice. it's hard for us to compete with that. I hope yes, you understand that. I do. Uh, but hopefully in the aggregate, if you will, to Moneyball, that, we, we can Yeah, we can that's the problem. It's like, you. I mean, a favorite on a golf yeah. tournament every week is, you know, eight to one, 10 to one odds sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, trying, I'm having to parlay like six things in game just to get to those odds in an NBA game. So. You're better off to, to bet some NFL draft futures if you want to compete yes. with anything like that. Yes. <laughs> Hendon Hooker at 25 for you. the Colts. Yeah, they could move down. That was one of the four options they had in there. Uh, Jimmy good stuff today eddie always great as well our thanks to all of our guests casey valier kevin lee michael grady john is in next i'm back on wednesday where i'm sure we'll just talk about all the same stuff again talk to you then